When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history. Find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Street Comics Podcast, starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. It's a story as old as time. Boy meets spider, spider meets boy. And what do they create? They create a Spider-Man. You may have seen him on screen, in animation, in video games, and definitely comics. For me, my love of Spider-Man started almost, you know, from the moment I was born. Today we're talking about the first volume of the series that made me a lifelong Spider-Man fanatic. We are discussing Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 1 by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley. Speaking of Marks, we've got the one and only, the infamous, miraculous, mighty Mr. Mark Clare. Mark, how is life? Life is good, Remzo, and I am Mark spelled properly with a C, classically spelled with a C, not like this this Bagley and all these other Marks out there with K's on their name. Just- the, the, the communist Marks. It's like the Carl's. Like I always, like I always get confused with the Carls. It's like, are you like, you know, the Freedom Carl or the Communist Carl with the K? Are you the K Carl, the C Carl? That was my, that was one of my favorite scenes in RV with uh, Robin Williams, and he's like, "This is my son Carl, named after the father of modern communism." Like, I'm gonna go ahead and not even try to pretend I've seen that movie. <laughs> it's actually, I don't know why I brought it up as an example. That is my, that's probably my favorite Robin Williams movie. But would you rank it higher or lower than Shaggy Dog with Tim Allen? Higher, 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 higher. One one day we're going to have to do a Remzo random movie review show where I just watch all these movies that you mentioned that I've never seen in my life. You've never heard of RV? I've heard of it, but I've not watched it. RV, I'm pretty sure, may have been the last movie he ever did. Unlike my co-host here, I have not I have not seen every movie I've heard. of. Mark has no life. <laughs> that is that is ha- where I we're going. Life. With that's this. why I don't have time to watch every movie that's ever been made or some three times. I am. I am basically. <clears throat> Wonder Woman. I am. Ba- Shut your you shut your mouth. <laughs> I am basically Mystery Science Theater 3000 in the flesh. But uh, m- moving on, moving on to grander things. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we have any Patreon notes or anything. Oh, yes, we do. Because yeah, join, we always do. That's, that's the note. <laughs> <laughs> we've uh, we've money. Been, send money. We, we have we have been like shitting content 
not as much as you know other other podcasts out there uh you know we we don't want to dick measure against uh you know the weird science marvel comics and the weird science dc comics we don't want to dick measure against them at all because because they they will they will will very short they will schlong slap us across the face like in prison. It's uh, you know, we're 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 striving to to follow our hero's lead. But this past week alone, we had another new Remso rant on Sunday. We had another random Marvel Marvel Comics podcast with Mark on Sunday. Uh the day that you're listening to this Wednesday right now, we have another Remso versus the MCU phase one. All, all I can say is we're, 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 we're given the goods. We're mailing out comics. We're scheduling calls. We're, we're having so much fun. And the, and the second break comics fan zone is literally probably the only reason why I still have, have, uh, have Facebook at this point, because everything else is just doom and gloom. But the second break comics fan zone is Eden for <laughs> nerds and nerdettes alike on Facebook. We, we got into a, you know, bit, bit of a, bit of a frenzy because just, just to kind of give you a preview is the, uh, of the stuff that we talk about. Uh, Mark, did you see any of the Transformers films? I'm not even going to get specific. I'm just going to be like, have you seen any Transformers movie? I have seen any of them. I have not seen all of them. Okay. Uh, there was a movie that came out a couple years ago called Bumblebee. Do you know who Bumblebee is? I do. And I know that it stars John Cena, but believe it or not, despite being a big John Cena fan, I, did, I have not seen that. Film. Is it because you can't see him? It's because I couldn't da, see da, him. Da, yes. da, da. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, Optimus Prime is in the Bumblebee movie, and apparently the actual semi-truck that they used to drive around in the scenes, they are selling it right now for only $21,000. And this is why this is why I really want us to, you know, just dominate, especially with, with our patrons, because I think we could actually afford to buy and maintain that truck, put SPC and maintain, logo. And maintain is the key. Yeah, These and like maintain. And we could put SPC logoing everywhere. And when you press the horn, I've already been thinking about it. It'll be like Autobots roll out. I will drive across the country. And if I, I will basically treat this like equity. So if you come into Patreon uh, for Second Brick Comics at a certain level, you can drive the Optimus Prime truck at some point. I'm just like, I don't know any of the logistics. I haven't really thought out numbers and like liability and shit like that. But people, SPC Nation, I beg of you. Help us buy the Optimus Prime truck because that shit would be bitching. Yeah, that's a talk about a Patreon goal right there. What do you think we need to get to? About ten thousand a month, two At months least. To, to pay for it, and then you know the maintenance. We need we need to we need to think about the cost of insurance alone. We've got a driver, Prime Meyer, our, our very first patron, a patron so pure in of heart that he joined our Patreon before we even published an episode. That is how pure Prime Meyer is. But uh, he is also adept at the driving driving of such trucks. So I think we've got a situation. Here that is going to work out. We just need you, to you see his heart is pure all spark. But seriously, people, this is the stuff that only dreams are made of. Most of what I know about the Transformers uh, movies is from the ride at Universal, at least out here in Hollywood. I don't know if they have the same version on the East Coast Universal, but that ride is amazing. And you got to find the Allspark. That's the whole point. I've seen uh, I've seen clips of it on YouTube. The, awesome. the closest thing we have to that, the closest thing we have to that is the old Men in Black ride over at uh, Universal Studios. It's it's a little bit like it, but I think the Transformers one is a bit cooler. But either way, all that to say, 
please consider supporting the show on Patreon. We're giving out regular bonus content from Mark and I and friends. Uh, you're about to go ahead and put out the last episode uh, going over the finale of WandaVision with our good friend Dan Smots from The System Is Down. Uh, you know, what I love is getting to go to, uh, to to a bunch of my local comic shops and picking out mystery graphic novels to go ahead and send out to our journey into, I'm sorry, for our epic crossover patrons and above. And, and then, you know, really uh, the journey into mystery call where we actually get to talk about stuff we're doing on the show. It's evolved into just the SPC frat. I had a, I had a blast, uh, you know, catching up with a lot of you on last month's February call where Mark was in a coma or something doing other stuff, non SPC related. Related. Uh, I guess you could tell who loves you more. And uh, I mean, really, this is this is the best part of my week, getting to sit down with Mark and talk comics and then getting to spend the rest of my time learning how to have fun and entertain all of you so I can entertain myself at the same time. So really, from the bottom of my heart and Mark's heart, support us so we could support you. It's all about fun, and we have a lot more fun. The more you uh, get access to us, the hosts, the more you hear the bonus content, the more you get all the inside jokes, the more you get the memes, as Prime Meyer posted a nice little meme uh, referencing just a little inside joke from the WandaVision recaps. I'm not going to say what it is, because what will be the point? If you're not listening, then you're not going to get the joke, and if you are listening, you already know the joke, so... No point in stating it here, but it's a good time. Absolutely. So, Mark, this has been um, this was actually going to be my first episode that I wanted to produce a while back, but I didn't want to be like super basic and predictable. So I wanted to taper off to kind of let people understand that I'm more than just my childhood love. Uh, you know, Peter Parker, Spider-Man. I, you know, I, I tell people that Batman is my favorite superhero, but really, like at the end of the day. I think I can say this. Spider-Man is my favorite character in all of fiction. Wow. Like from the from the my earliest memories, I had Spider-Man shirts, I had Spider-Man light-up shoes as a kid, I had the action figures, I was watching the 90s animated series. I would sing, you know, the old 60s cartoon Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever spider can. I I my life is is just this character. I I can't I can't say I can't I like I'm trying to find the words, but like Spider-Man is so much part of my life. I cannot see myself ever living without having ever been introduced to this character. That's all I got to say. It was very much the same for me. I mean, my, my very first issue of a comic, as I discussed on uh, the Weird Science podcast, the first issue podcast, I believe it has a different name than that, but that's what I'm calling it because I can't remember right now. But I discussed my first issue ever, which was an issue of Fantastic Four. Uh, but the the first character and the first title that I really, really started to get attached to uh, once I got further into comics was Spider-Man. I mean, I, I was Spider-Man obsessed. I was basically just a Marvel guy at first before uh, the death of Superman and Nightfall kind of pulled me over into the DC universe. Uh, but before that, I was basically Spider-Man, and I mean every Spider-Man book. Like, I was that guy that, like, the, these crossovers were made for, that, like, Maximum Carnage, the Clone Saga, those were made for me, because I would go to the store, and I would get every single crossover edition, I would get every single uh, cover, I would get everything. I was absolutely obsessed with everything relating to uh, Spider-Man and X-Men, really, but uh, Spider-Man was the one I related to the most because uh, I think he was actually a young adult by the time I was reading but in my mind the origin of Spider-Man the classic character was always 
a teenager. I was a teenager. Uh, it's, it seemed like someone I could actually relate to, uh, as opposed to these huge, muscly superheroes like Superman. Um, even a lot of the X-Men, they just seemed like somebody I could never be. Like, I could never see myself as Wolverine, but I could see myself as Peter Parker. So that's I think that's why I had such a connection to the character growing up. Yeah, I mean, that that's the unique thing about Spider-Man. I mean, just really... You know, people can think of Batman, but when I look at a character like Batman or Superman, it's like, yeah, they've got their alter egos like Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent. But, you know, they they are really mentally in a constant state of I am Batman. I am Superman with Peter, you know, and and this is what Stan Lee and Steve Ditko talk about when they do commentary for Spider-Man, when they did commentary for Spider-Man, which is they wanted to go ahead and flip the idea of what your traditional superhero comic was going to be about. For one, you didn't have teenage superheroes uh, really until Spider-Man. He was the first because everyone else was a sidekick and everyone else was just jumping off the motif of, you know, an older adult hero. And, you know, they were there for for the quippy jokes and, you know, to, to be captured by the bad guy, only be saved. They weren't anything interesting. So one, to make a teenage superhero was just something that no one at Marvel at the time thought they could actually sell. Secondly, he was also the first hero to actually be covered head to toe. At that point, everyone, even characters, you know, uh, predating Batman, like you, like the Phantom, for example, he was basically in a giant uh, unitard, but you could still see his face behind a domino mask. Um, the Phantom inspired the spirit, the spirit inspired Batman, so on, so on. They all have, you know, pretty pretty elaborate getups, but you could still see part of their face. You can at least tell what race they are, at least. Spider-Man, you couldn't even tell that. He was covered from head to toe, um, and that was done intentionally by artist Steve Ditko because what he wanted um, was basically for any fan to imagine themselves behind Spider-Man's mask, and he wanted kids across the country, across the world even, to imagine that even they could be Spider-Man, that the only thing that made Peter Parker truly special was that he happened to be the one who got bit by the spider. And third, what I love about Spider-Man is that I love Peter Parker probably even more. And, you know, I've, I've discussed this. I've discussed this in the past on this show. And in the Remso rants, I'm in love with the character of Miles Morales because, you know, as a, as a, as a mixed race Puerto Rican kid growing up, um, I didn't see many superheroes like me. And even in like film, if you see someone from Hispanic or Latino heritage, they're typically a bad guy or they're typically a criminal or like a reformed drug dealer or pimp or something. It's only until recently where we actually got to see actors with that heritage who are actually portrayed as like the leading man in a positive light where they're more than just a stereotype. So to eventually see, you know, Peter Parker's successor and partner in many cases be a kid who I could see myself in, you know, it doesn't make me love Peter Parker less. In fact, it makes me love the idea of Spider-Man even more. So th those are just the things that I've, I've always loved about the character. And, you know, before I let you uh, kind of, you know, throw your thoughts in Mark and lead us in uh, ultimate Spider-Man, as I've mentioned, the ultimate comics is what made me a diehard comic book collector. It's what taught me a lot about what I needed to know from this alternate universe to eventually get me into the mainstay flagship books. Um, this, 
this stuff was designed to grab people like me to go ahead and put this on their pull list, our local comic shops. And for me, Ultimate X-Men, Ultimate Fantastic Four, The Ultimates, Ultimate Spider-Man, those will always be my favorite titles. I know a while back we did the first volume of Ultimate X-Men. I kind of looked at that through rose-colored glasses. We both gave it kind of a low score. You weren't necessarily a fan, but as much as I say this is not the best comic ever written, I still look at it and it's like, you know what? I love it because it was fun and it takes me back to my childhood. So, Mark, I mean, for you, what what makes Spider-Man so different from all these other people? Well, just to use an analogy, essentially here, I am Peter Parker and you are my plucky uh, mixed race Puerto Rican sidekick who will one day take my place. Uh, that, that's that's kind of how I'm looking at everything right now. I dig it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, just the character of Spider-Man always, always seemed relatable to me. And I think you had a good point there where almost anybody could be under the mask. I mean, when, when I was growing up, Spider-Man was a very popular Halloween costume uh, because it's, it's a costume that worked perfectly for you. You didn't have to do anything else. You didn't have to become someone else. If you wanted to be Superman or Wolverine, you had to either look different than that person or like really change a lot about yourself, like get a wig or, you know, change the, the color of your skin or get crazy hair or get claws. Now, all you need for Spider-Man is the mask and anybody can be behind the mask. And maybe that is you know, one thing that was a lot more appealing about the character. And then, uh, you know, when it comes to the Ultimate Universe, this is really a perfect sort of juxtaposition for us because it's the area that really sucked you into comics. And for me, when I end up reading a lot of this Ultimate stuff, when I go back and reading it, a lot of it is... It's like I, I get it and I, I I don't. But we'll we'll talk more about this when we when we go further into this particular story. But but overall, like for me, it's just redone origins of characters that I already know. Uh, but at the same time, when I look, especially when I talk to you about how this stuff sucked you into comics and about the type of books that I really ended up really getting into, into as a kid, I totally get it because they're fresh starting points. They don't have that level of intimidation that, you know, when I'm jumping onto these books when I was a kid, even though I, I really got into like the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, these books, their titles were all in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and just really always felt like I was behind. And even when when I was enjoying the stories, I'm always seeing the, oh, well, uh, this was referenced in Fantastic Four 222. Oh, crap, what happened then? And I, I just always felt like I was chasing the uh, chasing the story, chasing the chronology and then the history, whereas uh, what really got me into the Image comics at first was that fresh start, uh, was the fact that I could pick up Savage Dragon from scratch and it's this whole new universe and I'm not behind. I'm there from the beginning. And I think that's a lot of what the Ultimate Universe served as you, but for these same Marvel characters that had been around for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get started, uh, you and I talked about this a little bit. We didn't get into too much detail, and I don't want to spoil this for our review of this volume at the end of the show. But, you know, just in like 30 seconds or less, why did you not like Ultimate X-Men? Because I think this is going to show the power of giving people a fresh start and allowing different creative teams the chance to really kind of do their own thing while at the same time trying to match what other people in their same team are kind of doing. Uh, in 30 seconds or less. Okay. Well, it's not that I hated it. I think I ended up giving it like a six, maybe, or six and a half. So that's still a readable book that was, you know, had decent art and okay writing. So I wouldn't call it terrible. But for me, as a lifelong X-Men fan, I just didn't feel like I needed the reboot. And it didn't feel different enough for it to matter to me. And the parts that were different just seemed weird. Like, like 
Wolverine being overly aggressive in hitting on uh, Jean Grey, who's like 17 in the book, which is, I guess, reflective of similar things that were even creepier with Charles Xavier in the the original X-Men. Yeah. And, and it really the pacing. It also felt like the pacing of that particular story was just like, OK, Wolverine's bad. He's hired by Magneto. He goes to these guys. He changes his mind. He likes them. He turns on them. It was just like, boom, 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 boom. It didn't feel it, it didn't feel natural either. I think that was my other issue that I had with that story. Um, but it's not terrible. Uh, it just didn't it didn't feel like the X-Men to me and to whatever extent it felt like the X-Men. I felt like I could just get that by reading X-Men, by reading regular X-Men. I didn't feel like I needed Ultimate X-Men. So that's how I felt coming out of that book. Yeah. So one thing I want to preface, going back to like 2002, 2003, when this new Marvel universe is being released, I think it was Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men came out first. Then a few months later, Ultimate Fantastic Four came out, then Ultimate Marvel team up. And then I think 2004, 2005 was when the Ultimates, which are the ultimate version of the Avengers, came out. So you've got a lot of young writers coming in mixed with some veterans. For example, this is still around the time that Brian Michael Bendis is considered a newcomer. But who's he paired with? He's partnered with Mark Bagley, who, as we covered in Maximum Carnage, had been drawing Spider-Man for a while and is personally my favorite Spider-Man artist. What did Brian Michael Bendis do? Who did he have pictures of? How did he be- get the keys to like all things Marvel in the early 2000s? Because they seem to have just given him the reins of the whole universe at some point, like pretty early on there in the, the 2000s. He was he was writing stuff that was actually bringing in younger readers because, you know, this is after the comics, uh, you know, market collapse to a degree uh, in the mid to late 90s. I think he'd started at like Dark Horse or Image, one of those two. And then he went on and I think he created Alias uh, and a few other comics. And then, I mean, really with with the ultimate comics, that's what showed Marvel. Wow, this guy really gets the characters. That's why they gave him so many books and, and burned them out. The way they did. And now he's doing the same thing with Superman. Or is he done on Superman now? Now he's moving on to Justice League. Yes, greater, greater things. I'm, I'm super excited for that. Uh, anyway, go ahead and jump in. I just want to start with the cover. Uh, around this time, and, and even now, Spider-Man has been an adult, probably like early and mid 30s for at least like 30 years going back to like late 80s what what struck a lot of people about this spider-man is that looking just at him on this cover of ultimate spider-man issue one he looks scrawny he looks short he looks like a teenager and that was the really important thing because what they felt was you know ultimately everyone will connect with the teenage side of peter parker but this so this will not only bring in the readers that we want the the millennials like myself but it'll also go ahead and be a great reflecting point for to go ahead and get on those spider-man readers that felt that maybe you know they they didn't just outgrow spider-man but spider-man kind of outgrew them so mark just looking at the cover you see this. You see this Spider Man. What what were your thoughts on it? Because it's different. It looks. I don't. Know, I mean, maybe this is similar to how the art felt um, in a lot of the Ultimate X Men. It feels a little, at least just the, from the cover anyway. It feels like a little more cartoony. Uh, it, just, it has a similar style, I would say. Um, just that's how it feels to me. Not, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Sometimes I do mean that in a bad way. In, in this way, I don't. Uh, it feels a little more cartoony, but like you said, it's not the jacked up muscular version of Peter Parker that we actually do see from a lot of the art in the 90s from Todd McFarlane from Mark Bagley on this book. Uh, it is like they do definitely make a, a point to show you that this is like a kid. This is a scrawny kid. That's yeah, I mean, I, I, I look at this and I could easily think that is Andrew Garfield or that is Tom Holland. Like we're taking them back to when Spider-Man was just a boy. 
And, uh, you know, le- leading us in, you know, for everyone that has at least glanced at Amazing Fantasy issue 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man, we all kind of have that idea in your head, even if you're a newbie, like we've all seen at some point. Immediately, first page, you're, you're taken somewhere completely different. We are inside of Oscorp. And what's different from most superhero origins, they typically start with the hero first, the hero being introduced. This actually introduces us to the villain, which is Norman Osborn, the CEO of Oscorp Industries. And he, and he goes ahead and he pulls one of his scientists over as he's looking at this crazy, crazy looking spider, um, arachnid number zero, zero. And what Norman is doing is he's like, hey, uh, you, you a fan of Greek mythology? Uh, can't really say, Mr. Osborne. Well, let me go ahead and tell you the, the myth of Arachnid. Right well, you're now, not going to be after I talk to you about this for, for 10 minutes. You're, you're going you're gonna to be a little bit bored of, out of your mind. But I like how they're doing this because I think, you know, what they do in, in films and we I think the Dark Knight, uh, the Dark Knight. Yeah, Batman, Dark Knight. No, I was about to say Dark Knight Rises. You can tell a lot by your hero, by who the villain is. And they really make Norman Osborne, who had been kind of pushed wayside in the Spider-Man comics by bringing him back and making him the first person you're introduced to. I think this really kind of sets the tone for how the Spider-Man's going to be different. But basically, long story short, uh, Norman Osborn has kind of a God complex. He likes to be able to create things that no one else has. And as he's talking about the legend of Arachna, who's able to go ahead and create worlds and stuff by using her magical webs and stuff like that, he sees himself as kind of doing that with genetic manipulation, which is what Oscorp uh, and their technology division is known for they're trying to really change people at the cellular level and for him that makes him feel almost godlike so what we see right now is that norman norman's got kind of an ego and you look at that spider and that spider almost reminds me exactly of the one from the 2002 spider-man film with um uh, with Tobey Maguire. It's just giant, hairy, creepy as hell. And this one has the two zeros actually like laser printed or tattooed to its back. It's just one of those nasty little bastards that you just don't want to don't want to see crawling on you. It's not a cute, cuddly spider by any means. No. And, and I mean, as we scope out to the next page, we see a giant uh, spread of Oscorp laboratories, lots of technology, lots of scientists working around. And uh, somebody goes ahead and calls Norman, his secretary, who brings him his phone. And he he just kind of flings the spider back, you know, this billion dollar spider flings it back to the guy that he was talking to. The the guy freaks out because he's holding this giant, dangerous, genetically altered spider. So he goes ahead and he tosses it uh, in this little display box. The problem is, though, that because he got so disgusted by it, as soon as he flung it in there without killing it, uh, he kind of forgets to put the lid on. So literally, the spider is just there. It looks up and then it crawls out. So at this point, we're like, shit. That thing's gonna bite someone, and it's gonna hurt. I like how they they hone in on the zero zeros. It almost makes it look like like creepy eyes too. And that when they zoom in on them, even though I know it's just the, the zeros on the back, but it adds a little element of creepiness to it. We never actually like see the spider in any of the regular Spider-Man stories, and when we have, it's usually been like a couple, like a dot and a couple lines. In Spider-Verse, you see one. Oh, yeah, that, that it's a one. mechanical. That's like a mechanical spider in that one. And, and this one kind of looks like it, though. The, the one that, yeah, kind of. Yeah, the one that bites Miles kind of looks like this one. Um, 
the more you know. But I think it also like, you know, you bring up the fact that it looks like eyes. I think what we're trying to get from Bagley's spider right here is that th- there's something unique about it. There's something that makes this more than a spider. So maybe I'm looking too much into it, but we continue. We're finally well, the very next. Yeah, the very next panel, actually, on the next page, it, it goes from that that close up of the spider to uh... the eyes of one Peter Parker. So maybe it is supposed to kind of look like eyes in a way. Ah, uh, you see folks, you got you got to get your hands on this one. This is why you got to read your books twice, once the first time and and the second time on a podcast. <laughs> That's when you start to notice stuff. Mark, I I have read I have read this comic hundreds of times over probably 15 years and I never noticed that until right now. I, I just noticed it right now live. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, it looks like eyes." Then I turned the page and I was like, "Oh, there's Peter's eyes." So there you go. So we're the we're things you learn the, podcasting live. It's like Bob. It's like Bob Ross, but for nerds. Um, we're we're over at uh, the Westwood Mall food court in Queens, some New creepy York. Little, we're gonna paint some creepy little eyes right here. All right, make make, make them a little bit more menacing. Creepy there little spider go. hairs. Oh, perfect. There's no mistakes, just happy accidents. Uh, <laughs> Peter Parker looks like. It's yeah. just occurring to me. There's probably a generation. Actually, you should be in that generation. Almost. I knew of, Bob Ross. People that that I know you do, but I feel like there's probably a lot of a lot of folks your age who don't, or at least don't have the appreciation for it. So I'm glad you do. You were raised right. They're not people. If you don't know Bob Ross, <laughs> if you were born after 9/11, I don't consider you a functioning adult. You're still learning to talk and shit like that. That's fair. Uh, anyway, back to Peter Parker. Uh, <laughs> we see him at this mall food court. Uh, usually you go to the mall, have fun, hang out with your friends. No, he's reading a science textbook and he's enjoying it like a nerd. So he goes back to his table. Um, he's sitting down, reading his book, just having a nice afternoon. And someone throws a bunch of fries at him. Well, it turns out he looks across and he sees the nerds, the jocks. He sees Kenny Kong. He sees Flash Thompson. He sees Liz Allen, all the people. We're too cool for our, for our humble Peter. And uh, at this point, you know, they're, they're talking and he's listening in and he's taking a look over at Liz Allen, who's like the super cute blonde. And then he sees the one, the only, the, 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 the most Rem's famous, the most famous redhead ever. MJ. You know what? I will say this uh, for those of you that have been listening to the show for a while, you know that I'm not an MJ fan. I'm going to, I'm going to counter that. I'm not a Marvel Universe MJ You're fan. Not a 616 MJ. I'm not a 616 MJ. Ultimate MJ was my first comic book love. Right, she is. And as we continue on through this story specifically, you'll learn why by the end of this episode, why I love this MJ. I kind of like Ultimate Liz. got to be honest. Ultimate Liz is she, she's got it going on. She's got some spice to her. So, so he's just looking around, you know, they're, they're, you know, the guys are just messing around, throwing French fries everywhere, being, being, being bullies, jocks. Everyone else is just having a good time. And Peter's just kind of lonely. Um, so at this point, uh, you know, Kenny Kong, he's a giant bald guy. Uh, he, and he's actually unique to the Ultimate Comics. So he was an original character for this. We see him, uh, you know, he notices Peter and he just starts throwing more, more freaking fries at him. So one of his friends is like, oh man, that's a five pointer. And Kenny's like, oh, I'd give that a four. So they're just laughing at uh, Peter and you know Peter doesn't do anything he's 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 afraid of them he's a nerd he doesn't fight so he just brushes off his glasses and he just moves on meanwhile MJ looks over and she she actually feels kind of kind of bad for him so Liz goes over and she's like hey uh you know I'm gonna try and 
uh, you know, head over to this other place. You want to come? And MJ's like, no, I, I got to go. She's still looking longingly at Peter like, oh, what, you know, like, like a wounded puppy. And she's like, oh, what are you going to do? Study? Yeah. Duh. What else is new in the world of brainy Janie? I'm gone. So what we see right now is that this MJ isn't like what you've seen in, in the regular Spider-Man comics or even the films. Like she's popular, but she's not just the token hot chick who wants to be an actress. What we're getting by Lee's by Liz's tease is that she's actually also kind of smart. So, you know, the panel is not just the the club and model Mary Jane of the 616 MU. She's beauty and brains. So we 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 go back to Peter at the bottom of the page and he just looks sad. Like he's just he's just completely broken. He's got no fight in him. And Liz and I'm sorry, MJ looks over and she just she like she this is what I love about Bagley. He he can he can tell you everything you need to know without any words. The look on MJ's face is just pure. I feel bad for you. And, uh, you know, as they pan out from Peter, as, as it makes it look like he's more isolated as we scope out, it really paints a picture in less than two pages. This is the loneliest, saddest kid on earth. Exactly. He doesn't, he's, he wants to read about sar- sodium carbonide. He doesn't want to get involved in food fights and he doesn't even really care too much about getting involved with hitting on Mary Jane or any of these chicks. He just wants to read his darn books and eat his lunch. Yeah. And, and I'm not I mean, even sure if he has lunch. They saw him with like, he's got a soda. I, I guess he, he probably ate his food real quick. So get, he, he's, get into he's, his studies. he's probably broke too, as we'll, as we'll figure out a little bit more, but to make matters worse, what happens? Kenny Kong goes ahead and throws a giant freaking taco straight on Peter. And what does Peter do? Oh, he'd waste the taco like that. When I was growing up, like taco day was the, that was the coveted food day. Like you're not going to waste a taco on just any, any old nerd. No, day. I mean, he, he must be rolling in dough to go ahead and get all that, you know, taco missile money. But I mean, it just keeps going like Peter's just freaking taking it. And the look on his face is like he went from just really sad. to like he's got no emotion. He just looks depressed. So Kenny's just screaming goal. And, you know, his friends are just laughing. That's when we see some mystery adult walk out of the corner and he walks behind Peter and he's like, hey, Peter. And Peter looks up and he's like, oh, Uncle Ben, what are you doing here? I thought you were just dropping me off. And uh, Uncle Ben, he looks like this is what I love about it. When I think of Uncle Ben, I think of the super old guy wearing like a Mr. Rogers sweater. This is Uncle Ben, but, you know, he's got longer hair. He's dressed like some like an actual person would in the early 2000s. He actually looks a little bit livelier for someone in their, you know, in their more mature years. This is a different Uncle Ben. And as soon as he walks up and the kids look at him, it's not like, oh, what are you going to do, old man? It's oh, shit. It's 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 an actual adult who could probably get me in trouble or kick my ass. Yeah, this is not some like cranky on his last last legs like old man uncle ben i'm we know we actually haven't really gotten to know an uncle ben too much at all in the comics uh we just know him from dying in amazing fantasy 15 uh basically from from the uh you know from the 616 so uh it's nice to see him actually a little bit you get a little bit of a sense of who uncle ben is and like you said he is lively uh he's he's kind of like one of those adults that all the kids take seriously but he's cool he's not a jerk he's he's the he's the cool dad the cool cool uncle i guess in this case yeah and i mean he even looks over at mary jane he's like isn't that Mary Jane over there and Peter's like stop Uncle Ben so he calls her over and she actually looks excited to see him it's not like oh that old man knows me it's like oh my gosh that's Ben Parker so he pulls he pulls her over they start sitting down uh, he he looks across the table and sees Flash Thompson Kenny Kong and they're just like yeah we should probably leave and and they sit down and they're talking about hey how'd you do on the chemistry exam you know how Peter did he did good oh, I bet you did great and you just begin to see like Ben is a figure. He's not just another character. He's a figure that people actually respect. And this is a type of characteristic that you never get from the the mainstream 
Spider-Man comics. So I, I liked his introduction here. Yeah, for mainstream comics at all, um, these adult figures always seem to be like, you know, they're usually like a jerk to the kid or there's a conflict with the adult. It's, it's not that often that you actually just see like a cool adult figure who is who is like cool, but not like Uncle Jesse cool. He's just like he's respected and is and is like a cool uncle, but authority figure kind of guy. But he's not he's not a stern, um, a stern sort of a strict, a harsh uh, sort of adult figure. He's just a yeah, he's Uncle Ben. He's very unique. They really make him his own character here. Yeah. And I mean, it, it goes on to the next page. We flash forward to probably like the next day in school. Someone is literally kicking Peter down the hallway. His books are flying everywhere. This kid can't catch a break. And who is it again? It's freaking Flash Thompson and Kenny Kong. And who has to come over and save him? Because somebody also always has to save Peter. It's Harry Osborn, who who's the who's cool in this situation. Leather jacket, slicked back hair, looks like a Backstreet Boy. He goes over and he threatens to beat them up, and they're like, ah, whatever, man, we'll go. Eventually, it looks like the school principal comes over. They don't name him. And, uh, you know, he, he's like, boys, get to class, or I'll call your parents, that type of thing. And he goes over to Peter, and he's like, Parker, don't let those guys pick on you like that, okay? Like, you, you come to me if that happens again. And, and Peter just doesn't say anything. And I, I get this because I had this happen to me in high school, he knows that if he goes to the teacher, he goes to the principal or something, it's not going to end well for him. And besides, like, what can they really do? We saw in the last couple pages, like, is someone going to save him each time he goes out on the street or he goes to the mall or goes anywhere else? Like, Peter knows, like, this is just how it is. And, you know, in, in the next page, he's talking to Harry Osborn, a cool kid who's actually like talking to him. You could tell that they've actually been friends for a while. And, uh, you know, he's just like, Peter, like what, what's going on? Like, are you just gonna, are you just gonna be like this forever? And Peter's like, fine. Uh, they make plans to go ahead and do homework after school. And you know, it's a, it's a long dialogue. It's just a lot of them just getting to, you know, flesh out each other for the reader. But I like this characteristic because it's not all dialogue. That's just to push the story forward. It's actually illustrating that. Yeah. Pete, this is Peter. He's shy. He has no confidence. He's not going to protect himself. And yet we have Harry here, who's the cool kid, who's actually standing up for him. And it seems like they're genuine friends. So there's another aspect where it's like just what they did to Ben, just what they did to MJ in a little bit. We're not even like, you know, six, seven pages in. And we know these characters better now than some people might have if they've been collecting Spider-Man for a couple of years. Oh, for sure. I mean, growing up, I hardly knew too much about those characters because I was picking up 30 years into the storytelling. So they would appear, I'd, you know, they'd, they'd interact with Peter in some way and they'd move on, but I would never really know who the characters were at the core. But now we're kind of getting those core characters in their early days. Um, so yeah, it's, and, and I think the, the relationship with Harry Osborn is is interesting because it's not it's not straightforward. Like Harry is kind of standing up for him because he's like the richer kid, cool kid. Um, but uh, he's also you know he is much like the other kids might at some point. He is using Peter too. Like he's kind of being friends with him because he's smart. Uh, you know they're doing their homework together, but it's really Harry just kind of copying off him. So even though they're they are friends and he's probably the closest thing Peter might have to a real friend who's who's a male, I guess besides Mary Jane. Everyone still kind of uses him. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's, it's it, Harry's definitely comes across as like like better than the other guys, but also maybe not necessarily that great himself because he is using Peter to an extent as well. He's not the best friend. He's just the best friend he's, he has. He's, exactly. He's all I got. So we'll take it. I'll take the guy that's kind of not mean to me and kind of stands up for me and is kind of using me over these guys throwing tacos at me. 
Yeah. And I mean, uh, well, I, my, my heart just goes out to him. And seeing this as an adult now, like I, I almost want to step in for like 14, 15 year old Peter. He's in gym class and I guess they're, they're, you know, they're, they're doing, you know, basketball drills or something. It doesn't look like they're actually playing, but, uh, the, the coach, this giant stereotypical mean gym coach comes over. He's like, come on, Parker, get the ball in the hoop. So he, throws it and he just misses completely so you think it's bad to be like picked on by your peers this is a freaking adult who's picking on him so he looks at him stands right next to him he's like a woman i swear to god (laughs) and it's just like if i had to bet cash honey based on that throw i'd say it was looking at a woman it's like jesus man new york schools must be rough yeah this this coach would definitely be fired uh, in in uh, twenty twenty one. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean he, he's not he's not getting around these days, especially for that comment. Uh, now we go back to the Parker home in Forest Hills, Queens, and you, now we meet Aunt May. Aunt May and Uncle Ben. They're trying to get you know some some details about his day from Peter. They're trying to ask him all these questions. They're just trying to communicate with him. And as they're eating dinner, what's he doing? He's just reading a book and he's not talking. And Aunt May looks at him and he's like, he's so quiet. And Ben's like, he's thinking. It's like, you know, with, with May, there's concern. But with Ben, it's like, he's not that concerned, not because he doesn't care, but because he knows Peter. It's like, he he's listening to us, but he's off like zoning out. So it doesn't mm-hmm. come from a place of he's being rude as a kid. It's coming from a space of he's just a kid who's who's thinking. He's lo- deep and lost in his thought. He's just reading about his chemical compounds. You know, he's going to do his thing here. Yeah. And I mean, they, they talk about, you know, oh, he, he's just like his father was. And, you know, we can kind of get the idea Peter's an orphan. If you didn't already know this, Peter's an orphan. So he's got a lot of shit going on with him. Like in, in, in the original Amazing Fantasy and in Spider-Man issue one, we're just told everything about Peter. Yeah. Now in this, we're actually getting to to learn along the way and we're seeing the impact because it's 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 a lot of things that you have to process, not just in a, oh, I'm being told, therefore now I know type of situation but as a as a reader of this somebody who's looking at the artwork you're processing it all a little bit more emotionally this feels more to me like it could just be like not necessarily a brand new spider-man i've never heard of before or a new universe to me it feels just kind of more like a spider-man year one like let's let's get a fleshed out version of what really happened uh that's kind of how i take a lot of this at this point was was this the first ultimate title the spider-man yeah okay so that they are really launching a new universe from scratch here Absolutely. I mean, this, as I mentioned, this and Ultimate X-Men, I think, came out the same week. And then like a few months later was Fantastic Four. And then a full year later, they did the Ultimates. And we've had a bunch of scatterings of like smaller series and there were a few limited series. But they want you to know that this is different. So while things might be similar, don't expect them just to be just another retelling. Mm-hmm. So now uh, we 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 flash forward past dinner. Harry is in the basement, and you know as you mentioned, uh, Harry's just really there because they're studying. But Peter's doing his work, and what 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 frustrates Harry is that he's kind of wanting to get out soon. So he's hoping that Peter can kind of get their work done sooner. And he looks around the room and he sees that Peter's been working on all these other science projects. And he's like, "Man, like what what's going on with you? Why can't we focus on this? Why can't you put this energy towards anything else?" And this is where you get, begin to see that like Harry understands peter but in a way he's 
I won't say that he's intimidated. I'll say he's kind of jealous because as we could tell from the first couple pages, he's the son of Norman Osborne, a very rich, smart man. And Harry just wants to have fun, be a cool kid. So to see that Peter is actually like super interested in this stuff, like he gets that he likes it. He doesn't understand why. That's why when we go back, uh, I'm sorry, when we go forward to the next page and we see Peter, I'm sorry, we see Harry uh, back at his house in a car, a giant mansion, you know, his dad is getting like a you know he's wearing like a tailored suit and stuff he's got his assistant there he's on the phone talking government defense contracts we begin to see that yeah he he's not like peter he's also not like his father so as we could see the disconnect between him and peter is also the same disconnect between him and his father because he doesn't understand how how he thinks how he is the way he is why can't they just have fun and be more like him or why can't he be more like them it's a question that comes out yeah he doesn't it doesn't even seem like he his father even knows him at all i mean he does know him obviously but he doesn't really care about him or care what his interests are or care anything about about Harry. He's just like another object in, in his uh, in his way on the on the on, you know in his in, while he's going about his day of uh, you know running Oscorp or doing whatever he's trying to do with that. And Harry just kind of seems to be there. Uh, so like Peter and yeah. Harry have different definitely contrasting lives. Like like Harry actually or Peter I should say actually has like an awesome home life. I mean even though he lost his parents, uh, he's got like the coolest dad figure ever. I mean Uncle Ben's awesome, and so is Aunt May. Uh, meanwhile Harry, who's sort of the cooler kid at school, uh, because he's rich, because he's got nice clothes because he looks like a Backstreet Boy. His home life, it's not all it's cracked up to, up to be. And uh, his dad's an asshole, basically. Yeah. Oh, going back to that, like, this is also another difference. Like, we see a younger Uncle Ben, but we also see, like, a younger Aunt May. I'll probably say, like, late 40s, early 50s. Not Marissa Tomei, but definitely not the Aunt May we got on screen for, like, all the Maguire films and the Andrew Garfield films, where it's like she's one bad day away from a stroke. I kind of like the idea of them being more like surrogate parents and less just grandparents who were just kind of there for them. Yeah, they. I think in this version, they definitely seem more just like parents who happen to be aunt and uncle, as opposed to like yeah, like the original Spider Man. They're they're kind of like too old and disconnected. Like Aunt Bay is just just crazy old. Like she can't. She's even. She's not even a mother figure. Yeah, she's always going out trying to buy her milk, uh, like she was in the middle of Maximum (laughs) Carnage. But, uh, you know, b- back to Harry, he w- he walks over to his father who's just screaming at somebody on a call and he just walks over and he calls him sir. And that's another thing. Like, I don't call my dad, sir. I call him dad. <laughs> and then when 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 like Norman looks over in the next page and he just looks pissed, like he's a dominating person, like he's a he's an intimidating mofo. Harry's like, uh, dad, do you remember my science class is coming to visit the labs tomorrow? Because I was kind of hoping that, you, you know. And Norman cuts him off. He's like, Martha, Martha, will you get this kid out of here, Martha? And it takes the the assistant being like, Harry, um, you know, it might be time to excuse yourself here. And he just and Norman just goes back to the call he was on. And it's just one of those situations where it's like, oh, my God, he treats everyone like shit. Yeah, he Harry here is more just like a a, a pet who's a nuisance uh, than anything else. It's like it's like uh, get this dog out of my office. Come on, get him out of my way. Yeah. So now we're at Oscorp Industries. Uh, it looks like something like 
I don't, I don't know if buildings are really like that. I've never seen a building like that, but you could definitely tell Norman Osborn doesn't joke around. He's building the future in kind of a Tony Stark esque way. Like it's very aesthetically futurist. So you know the 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 class from Harry and Peter's school they're doing the the tour. And what I like is they don't really like mess around. You don't have to worry about oh when it's going to happen because it happens on that page. They're walking around. Peter is standing next to MJ. They make eye contact, little smile there. Next thing you know you see. The, the panel just zoom in on Peter and he screams. He is he is yelling. Uh, he is just in absolutely utter pain. Uh, we go ahead and turn to the next page. We see that the, the spider, you remember the, the creepy eye spider from earlier? It bites him. What I love about this is it shows what, you know, teenage me was like, oh, this is so metal. He, the spider bites him so hard. We see a lot. We see like a whole stream of blood just dripping yeah, down is, his this arm. This is a serious bite. This is not just a little a little spider nip. Yeah, it's not like in the film where it's just like, ow, and they flicks the spider. It's like, holy shit, and everyone like sees it, and they look around him, and they're like, holy shit. I love this part, because he flings the spider, and it lands straight on MJ, and she starts screaming like, oh my god! And what happens? Peter blacks out. Uh, MJ smacks the spider with a book, and then Kenny Kong <laughs> comes over, slams his foot on it, and screams, die. And what does everyone else bullies, do? They just, bullies can be useful sometimes. Sometimes, but in this case, what's Flash Thompson, dude? He looks over. He's like, "Oh, look, the spaz is freaking." And this is <laughs> this is what I love because this is like what would actually happen if somebody got bit like that. He just he just blacks out. So Mary Jane runs over. She's like, "Peter, Peter!" And everyone's just like, "Oh shit, what's going on?" You actually get to see Peter black out, and you can see his vision kind of going as it's Mary Jane and I guess the teacher and a security guard, and they're like, "What the hell is happening to him?" And they're like, "Peter, Peter, please say something." The page. Goes goes dark and next you know we're back on the bus uh we see a teacher tending to well well, before i get any further that spider bite scene you know it's predictable you see it coming but my god that is some entertaining shit yeah i mean you you know this has to happen soon but they still did a really good job of how they flesh it out and i like how they really show that peter gets affected by it like this really takes him out like you said it's not just like in the movies where oh there's a little spider bite and like oh okay whatever like like and that makes sense i mean i always give toby mcguire the michael jackson voice it's like ow it bit me (laughs) (laughs) yeah and uh yeah so it it really show and they show the blood and they show peter blacking out i really like the scene where like the the he kind of sees the people standing over him and as the blackness just kind of absorbs around his his face slowly so and it makes sense because if this spider bite as we know is going to radically alter his dna and if he had these if it was this giant scary looking spider yeah it should mess him up it should you know start affecting his system more than just a random spider bite normally would so i I think it it makes a lot of sense and that they even though again you know it's coming but they flesh it out i also find it funny here that peter is wearing a, a no smoking shirt I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, those no smoking campaigns were everywhere. But, uh, yeah, it, it places it at the time quite well. Well, speaking of that, in the in the bus scene, you see the bus driver wearing uh, wearing an Aerosmith baseball cap. Signs of the times, folks. Yeah. Signs of the times. I think Aerosmith was coming back because they did the soundtrack for Armageddon. Um, <laughs> that made Steven Tyler a good chunk of change. But anyway, we see Peter at the front of the bus sitting next to MJ. God, is that how long ago this was when Armageddon came out? Yeah, I was a I was a baby. It was still you were, it really, was, you were literally a baby. 
It was, I, I wasn't allowed to see that in theaters. It was PG-13, <laughs> so that ages me. But we see Peter sitting next to MJ. MJ is, like, really caring. Like, the teacher there is like, hey, you know, we called your aunt. She's going to be at the school, and she's going to take you to the hospital. And, you know, Mary Jane is like, hey, nothing to be embarrassed about, Peter. It could have happened to anyone. Like, she, she's really caring. And Peter looks over, and he's like, well, you know, why is it this always happens to me? And she puts her hand on his shoulder and, you know, gives him just that MJ smile. And she's like, not always. Not always. And like, where's the is... other hand, MJ? Where's the ah, other ha, hand? Ha, ha. <laughs> we, we see the bus go by and now we're, we're back at Norman's, uh, Norman's office. And what they're doing is they're basically, you know, going through like the liability stuff because a student got bit. And next thing you know, the assistant from earlier, he's like, hey, just want to let you know, there was an incident in the main laboratory floor. One of your son's classmates was bit written by uh, zero zero by the zero zero arachnid specimen. And next thing you know, what does, you know, what, what's Norman's big concern? He turns around and he's like, ah, Harry shows up and something turns to crap. What a shocker. <laughs> and at this point, um, you know, Norman's just like, wait a second, why wasn't it contained? And the, the guy knows that he's the reason why the spider got out. He's like, we're, we're going to go ahead and, you know, figure this out. And what does Norman respond with? Fire the floor manager. I want her gone within the hour. And the guy's like, just, just fine. At this point, you know, they're discussing legal obligations and all this other stuff. And at this point, um, you know, Norman knows, oh, okay, wait a second. That was my spider. I should be less concerned about being sued by the kid or the school or something. How about this? He turns to one of his guys and he's like, Hey man, uh, this big bodyguard dude, he's like, I want you to keep an eye on the boy and, uh, you know, go, go ahead. And while you're at it, let's pay the hospital bill, send them a fruit basket. Uh, but keep an eye on the kid. So we know that Norman, like he is, he's like, he's like a he, he he's truly a monster. He's just so dead set focused on these things. Like he really does see people and people as like things, things just at his disposal. It's just, he's very like, he's even more cutthroat as a, as a, you know, like an evil corporate CEO than like Lex Luthor. This guy's an asshole. Yeah, and it's clear his concern is obviously not the health of young Peter Parker. It's not even, oh, no, I might get sued. I need I need some good PR. No, it's like, oh, you can tell it's like, oh, he was bitten by that spider, huh? Okay. Like, it's, it's like, we don't want to keep an eye on this guy. We want to see what happens because this is my, my my spider with my, as we'll see uh, later on, like this, I guess it's like his Oz formula or whatever that has that the spider is infused with. So this is more just like an evil science experiment that he's getting to continue with by keeping an eye on Peter Parker and seeing what happens with him. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is, I, I feel like I know these characters better in this issue than I did at any other point before this, even if we're in a new universe, uh, we're, we're back to Peter's bedroom. He's just sleeping. And apparently he's been passed out for hours. Didn't even eat dinner. Uh, Aunt may and, you know, Ben, they're a little bit concerned, but you know, they're just like, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be fine. And, you know, there's Harry, Mr. Slick. He's he's pal of Peter and probably his only one. Everything's going to be fine. Osborne even picked up the bill because he thought we were going to sue. So let's just let's just forget this happened. It was an accident. Let's go back to normal. The next day, Peter can't get a freaking break. Flash Thompson is in his face, starts spitting on him, getting it, you know, getting real close to him. He's like, oh, no, I got bit by a mosquito. Ah, they're all 
you know, they, they're all just making fun of him. And Kenny goes over to MJ and he's like, Mary Jane, if I throws up on you, will you go out with me? And they're just they're, they're just being absolute assholes. Liz Allen is there. Um, another girl is there. And, you know, they're just looking at MJ and they're like, you should really stop hanging out with him. He's you know, he's getting loser stink all over you. And I heard he, you know, he threw up on your shoes. She's like, he, he didn't throw up on my shoes. And, you know, they're just going back and forth. And next thing you know, uh, as Peter's trying to walk away, Kenny wants to get one more last, you know, hit at Peter. Just something to really just let him know you can't walk away from me until I let you walk away from me. He gets a running start and he's about to kick Peter. But Pete, something happens. Peter it's like the sense comes over him, a Peter tinkle maybe. And he flips around and dodges his foot, grabs it midair and flips this giant ape of a kid like in a, in a freaking 180 dude slams on the floor and everyone's just looking around like what the hell just happened. Mary Jane comes over. Everyone's looking in. They're like, my God, what just happened? And what happens? Uh, you know, teacher comes out. They're like, what's going on? Oh, I didn't get into a fight. Well, he got into a fight. Well, it was, it was Peter that did this to Kenny. The teacher looks at him and, and you know, he looks at, she looks at Peter and she's like, I don't care who you are, Peter. Um, wait, what's going on? Peter starts spazzing out again. He blacks out again. So the kid can't, the kid can't get a break, even when he's obviously defending himself. Yeah. And I just love how we see the effects of the spider bite. It's not instantaneous. He's not just instantly Spider-Man. Uh, and we see it slowly continuing to affect him. Like, he gets this kind of this burst of energy and is able to flip Kenny Kong. Uh, but then using that uh, kind of makes him black out and pass out again. So it shows that there's a process going on. There's a process going on inside him. Uh, his body is slowly changing and, and it's not able to really necessarily keep up with the changes. That's why he keeps kind of blacking out like this. Yeah. So now we're at a hospital. Uh, they're running some tests on him. They're like, Peter, what's going on? He's like, I don't know. Maybe I just had, you know, a freak moment happen. Uh, they're like, OK, we're going to go ahead and take some blood from you. Uh, this woman comes over, looks kind of strange for a nurse because she's got like kind of a malicious face going on. And uh, she goes ahead, gets a blood sample. And what we notice is that she sets it down uh, near one of the nurses station. And then the, the the bodyguard, the dude that was told to keep an eye on Peter, he comes by and just takes the vial and walk away. And we know that he's evil because he's bald. He works for Norman Osborne and he's wearing the traditional black bad guy, black trench coat. The bald, yeah. and we'd know. We would know. <laughs> Don't trust bald people. Uh, we're back at uh, Oscorp, and they're taking a look at um, at the blood. And what ends up happening? Norman looks at it, and he's like, "Oz, that's the formula that was in the spider." He's like, "The Oz, it's killing him." And the one assistant is like, "How?" And he just turns. He's like, "Well, I don't know." And at this point, they're just wondering, like, you know. What's 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 going to happen with this guy? So rather than just let Peter die and assume that this is just another tragic incident that's going to happen as a result of the bite, what they want to do is they want to kill Peter and drag his body back to experiment on him. So Norman's just freaking not 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 the nicest person. If you haven't been able to get that by all the other things by now. Uh, anyway, we, we go back, you know, Peter seems fine. He's talking with aunt May and uncle Ben about May's cooking. And it's just, you know, that banana bread just, looks amazing. I gotta say. Yeah. Well, he, he, he looks at it and he's like, what's that? And she's like, it's banana bread. And he's like, it's a banana bread. I mean, this is just one of those moments where they're just trying to show the family dynamic. And, you know, Peter, after all this stuff, you know, he, he just, 
e- even when they tease him and all this other stuff, like he's happy with Ben and May, which is why the next scene, uh, Peter's out walking, reading a book because they didn't have iPhones back then. Uh, Shaw, the driver, drives near him. And what's he going to go ahead and do? He's going to go ahead and run over Peter. So he's speeding right behind him. And just before he's about to hit Peter with his car, the Peter tingle, the spider sense comes <laughs> back and Peter does a freaking backflip like a freaking ninja dodging the car. And at this point, the guy looks around. He's just like, what the what the hell just happened? And, and Peter, what's happening? what a good guy. Peter's such a good guy. He's like, mister, oh, my God, are you OK? <laughs> <laughs> he's so innocent. And, and, and this is what's crazier. This dude, we find out his name is Shaw. Shaw's about to pull out a gun. Peter sees it briefly. Then the Peter Tinkle comes back and he he starts running back before the dude can pull out the gun and shoot him. So what we see now is that his spider sense is working, his strength is working, and his agility is working. So Shaw calls Norman back and he's like, dude, it's like something's something's going on with this kid. I tried to hit him. He did a backflip. He knew my gun was about to get pulled out. Like, what should I do? So Osborne is just like, ah, you know what? abort i want to study that kid not kill him so at this point peter's in the basement he's trying to think like what's going on with me what the heck is going on he's having flashbacks of everything that's happened the last couple days he's like ah i knew it that van was coming for me i knew it before it was about to happen so he starts researching on oscorp on oz on all their projects does his own little experiment at this point you know uh he's downstairs real late and may comes down she's like peter get up here now uh ben and may hear about the fight that happened and they're just they're just worried about him because how is it peter of all people gets into a fight at school still won't tell anyone what's going on does not tell them about the crazy ball guy that tried to kill him at this point you know he he they he apparently a day has gone by he just didn't even go to school so Ben and May are just like, what, what, what's wrong with you? And he's like, I didn't feel like going to school today. All right. So they're trying to, you know, discipline him as parents, parental figures sh- should. And May is just like, what, you didn't feel like going. So at this point, you know, the quiet kid who never fights back, he lashes back. He's like, school isn't the party you think it is. All right. And next, you know, May who's always just the nice, sweet, angelic, saintly grandma figure. She's like, well, you're not supposed to be having a party. You're supposed to be in school to learn. So at this point, you know, Peter is trying to maintain his temper. He's got his fingers on the wall. And this is where we see one of his most infamous powers. As he lifts his fingers off the wall, he pulls out a chunk of the wall, doesn't tell anyone, gets into a fight, goes to his room. And at this point, he's just he's just not having it. So Aunt May and Ben, they walk away. They're just like, you know what? We'll let him have a day. He's fine. He's just going through a lot of shit at this point. So Peter tries hey, to give fall. Give the kid a break. He just had this yeah. spider bite. He's getting picked on at school all the time. He's blacking out. I mean, let him let him take a day off. It's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, he's he's having a rough day. Uh, he's trying to go to sleep. Stays awake till 4 a.m. So he, he sees that, you know, his fingers are grabbing shit super strong got this peter tingle spider sense thing like a ninja agility so what does he start doing he starts thinking huh i wonder goes up to the wall starts climbing on it and then he's on the ceiling and he's just like okay i'm crawling on the wall something's going on end of issue one and i will say this was an extra long issue the others are going to be a little bit shorter but i mean for our first issue retelling of an origin story in such a different way from what we're used to for Spider-Man of all people. What are your thoughts on issue one? Well, I really like that we 
really do get to know these characters. Like we, we get to know them as people way before super stuff happens. Uh, we get to understand uh, Peter's relationship with Uncle Ben. We get to know Uncle Ben. We never got to know Uncle Ben uh, really in, in any format before. So I think getting to know him is going to uh, give more impact to what unfolds later on and really seeing that relationship and the strength of that relationship. Where at the same time, we're seeing kind of the opposite uh, situation with Harry and, and Norman getting to know that relationship. They're really laying the groundwork here for everything to come. Uh, so it's it's much more than just a, a basic retelling of Amazing Fantasy 15. It's really uh, just they're really just fleshing out uh, Peter Parker's universe more so than uh, I know they're building the ultimate universe. But to the reader here, we're getting to understand Peter Parker's universe and uh, doing so in a very natural way, seeing his interactions with everybody. I mean, there's like six or seven characters we really get to know throughout the course of this. There's, there's Peter, uh, Ben, Mary Jane, May, uh, Kenny Kong, Flash Thompson, Harry Osborn. I mean, this is all just in the one issue and, and the same issue where he gets these powers. So um, it is a little bit of a longer issue, but I think they really did a good job uh, with the pacing and with 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 packing a lot in without making it feel like you were trying to pack a lot in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to issue two, Mark, this is where worlds collide. The first page of issue two, we see our friend Ben Stein is Peter's econ teacher. Oh my God. I didn't even really know. And he's even doing this, this moot ha Holly tariff. Um, you know, in 1930s, the Republicans controlled the house of representatives in an effort to elevate the effects of the anyone, anyone great depression. How did I not even, anyone. how did I brush yeah. over? <laughs> like I thought it was, I, in my mind, I, you know, the, the smoot Holly thing like caught my eye, but I just didn't, I, now it's so obvious that it's literally been signed. Wow, that's amazing. That's, that is Voodoo some words colliding right economics. there. Folks, you can go ahead and tune into Lines of Liberty. Mark just had Ben Stein, the actor, economist, America's humble servant on talk about his life going from the Nixon administration to Hollywood. And you can catch me every Tuesday and Thursday on The World According to Ben Stein, wherever podcasts are available. Yes, you are <laughs> listening to two podcast hosts who have personally interacted with Ben Stein, who is appearing in this first issue of Ultimate Spider-Man. My God, my friends, if this is not worlds colliding i don't know what is this is inception we're in a dream within a dream within a dream <laughs> is ben within a comic. real or did we incept him <laughs> from the comic into the real world i'm not actually sure now. we manifested him through pure will that's amazing stuff <laughs> amazing stuff great crazy <laughs> shit man this is why i love doing what we do because he even when i interview him he even talks about that that uh you know that that smoot Holly tariff scene. That's the same scene. He. That's the same bill he was discussing in that famous. Her, uh, that wasn't Bueller scripted. Scene. That was off the cuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, we see America's humble servant Ben Stein is Peter's econ teacher, giving the exact same speech from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Peter has not slept. He's freaking out. He's shaking a little bit. Uh, he's looking over at MJ. He's like, oh, I feel weird. I feel sick. I'm not paying attention. MJ's hot. Oh, what, what's what's up with my hands? What's going on? And next thing you know, like he just he just kind of spazzes out. He spazzes out. That's a good way of doing it. Yeah. And he 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 smashes his desk. Now, don't get me wrong. I hated these desks. It's the desk that's attached to the table. Hated those things. But he 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 freaking destroys it. He flings back like he's possessed. He screams again. It's like Peter. If I was just one of his classmates, I'd be like, that Parker dude is a freak. Yeah. I mean, if the, if the, if the blackouts and flipping Kenny Kong over weren't enough, uh, him just, just randomly destroying a desk in the middle of class. Yeah. Some weird stuff's going on with this kid. <laughs> I'm going to ask the the next, you know, I'm, I'm on Ben's show tomorrow. So Tuesday, I'm going to ask if he knew he was in this. Yeah. We got to find that out for sure. 
I, I will. I promise. I will ask him if he knew he was in. He was in a Spider-Man comic as Peter Parker's teacher. Crazy stuff. I'm gonna guess he doesn't, and then we'll start the lawsuit where he goes to re- to, to to claim his royalty. He'll, he'll 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 be like, I was in Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I can't wait for that. Anyway, so Parker, everyone's Parker. Parker. <laughs> um, uh, everyone's looking around Peter. They're just like, what the hell is going on again, man? You're a huge spazoid. And they're just, they're just mocking him. And Peter's just in the rubble. And he looks up at Kenny Kong and flashes like, Hey, how about you shut that stupid face of yours or I'll shut you up. And they actually look afraid because they're just like, we don't know who this kid is anymore. He's just kind of freaking us out. So Doc, Mr. Ben Stein walks over and he's like, oh, that's quite enough, Peter, please. (laughs) Peter runs out to the bathroom. At this point, he's thinking like, what the heck is wrong with me now? I mean, one minute. And I just want to mention, this is also the first time we're in theater. We're in Peter's thought balloon. I just realized this. There is no Peter thought balloon in issue one. So this is the very first time we're actually getting inside of Parker's mind. Inside Peter Parker's mind. Inside on Substack today. (laughs) Um, he, he's thinking, he's like, should I talk to a doctor? Should I tell my teachers, Aunt May, somebody? I mean, just something, something's going on with me. And then he's like, wait a second, pulls down his sleeve and he's like, what? Where'd this come from? And he's got some guns on him. My first Puny, muscle. Puny Parker's got a bicep. His very first muscle. I was 35 when I got my first one. So he's ahead of the game. Uh, speaking of game, we're back in gym class with the dick teacher and everything. And um, what ends up happening is, Flash Thompson is going over to MJ and he's kind of, you know, being all Harvey Weinstein, pinning her up against the rafters <laughs> of the stands. And he's like, so come on. I know there's something going on here. Brainy Janie, I've been checking you out. And she's like, well, have you do me a favor. And just about the time she's about to tell him to go like screw off or something. What Peter does is he actually using his net, his newfound spider strength. You know, he couldn't hit the hoop earlier. He flings it at Flash Thompson, smack him in the face. And Flash looks like he's like it, it hurts. Like so he got him right in the throat. It looks like it really hurt. <laughs> the, the, the teacher, he's not. I'm sorry, the coach. He's not even mad. He's just like, whoa, there, Parker. So Peter comes over and he's like, you keep your hands off her, Thompson. Just leave her alone. And, you know, they're they're. They're about to fight. The The coach jumps in. And he's like, what? You know, get out of here. Hit the showers. You're done. He, it looks like he's he's actually taking Peter's side on that one. So next thing you know, uh, Flash is threatening him and they plan a fight. And at this point, you know, Peter's just a badass. He looks over and he's like, hey, sorry, Mary, that that wasn't you know, I didn't want to do that. And she's like, oh, thanks, Peter. She's a little she's a little turned on at that point. She's like, damn, he's she's smart. And he just threatened to fight the school's biggest bully. That's some badass stuff. Yeah, I mean, she liked him well enough before he could stand up for himself and uh, defend her against uh, unwanted Weinstein-esque advances. So now, I mean, who? See ya. Yeah, and if things have not been already pretty good for Peter Parker this day, ditches the glasses, goes to fight Flash in front of all their friends and everything, all their classmates, uh, you know, like behind the school or something. And Flash is just, you know, throwing punches at him and Peter's just dodging them because he's got his new spider sense and everything. At this point, uh, Peter's just like, "Okay, Flash, I'm serious. I don't want to fight you. And Flash, you know, he's got his he's got his fist cocked back. He's like, well, you should have thought of that before you he throw. You know, he doesn't even finish the sentence. He throws a punch at Peter. Peter grabs his fist and breaks his hand. Jeez. 
At this point, everyone's just horrified. Flash is in tears. You can actually see in like the bottom left corner of the panel, his hand looks all mangled. And everyone's just like, oh, God, oh, God, my hand. Like, it's it's pretty horrifying. And, and Peter is actually kind of horrified himself. He's like, man, I, I, I didn't want it to come to this. Oh, maybe you'll learn to stop being a bully now. Yeah. Um, That's the way I see it. At, at this point, you know, we see Kenny Kong over at Harry Osborne's. And they're talking about the fight and everything. And Flash, I'm sorry, Harry's just like, you mean he broke his hand? And Kenny's like, yeah, it was all mangled like this. I mean, the dude went to the ER. And who's listening in with a slight smile on his face? Norman Osborn. He's hearing everything. And he's just like, ah, interesting. So he he tells Harry, he's like, Harry, get, get over here. Harry, are you friends with this Parker kid? And who had the accident on the field trip? So Harry tells him everything and all this other stuff. And he's just like, uh, you know, they... You know, he, he comes from a regular family. He's a good guy. He's just, you know, he's just Peter. So uh, Norman is like, listen, I want you to bring the boy to the lab after school tomorrow. I feel bad for what happened. And, you know, I thought I'd make it up to him. Give him a personal tour. Do you think he'd like that? And Harry's just like, uh, yeah, you, ki- you kidding me? He'd love that. So Norman being nice, which isn't him. He looks at uh, Harry and he's like, good, I'll see you kids after school. And Harry's just like, okay, cool. He gets to spend some time with his dad. Yeah. Harry's like awestruck here. He's like, wow, dad wants to hang out with me. I'm like, no, you idiot. Clearly he doesn't give a shit, but uh, Harry seems at least excited that he gets to, that his dad has any interest in anything he's doing at all. Yeah. And I'm actually going to read the dialogue for the next page. We're back at Peter's house. Um, Well, yes, yes. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry for for what happened. And, you know, it's too bad. The way I heard it's it's you know, it's been your boy picking on Peter for some time and he was just defending himself. What, What we're hearing is Ben on the phone with Flash Thompson's parents. And as we go back into the house, we see him hang up the phone and he's like, "Ah, great. Aunt May's there. Peter looking all sad on the table. He's like, what now? And Ben is like twenty five hundred dollar hospital bill. And if we don't pay it, May's like, what? Twenty five hundred dollars. This is really the the, the times that this would be like a twenty thousand dollar hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But we're not here to talk about the, the cause of health care price increases. For more on that, find us in our other lives <laughs> in, a, in, in a in a world more complicated and less complicated than the one we're in now. But things are complicated for the Parkers. Uh, Ben is like, if we don't pay for it, they're going to sue us. And Peter's just like, are are, are you kidding me? And May is like, Sue, oh my God, what are we going to do? And Ben is like, what can we do? Well, a lawyer bleed us dry on top of paying the bill or just pay the bill. And May's like, well, I mean, let's think about this. He's like, May, he broke the kid's hand. What can I do? (laughs) So, I mean, they're just trying to figure it out. And Peter's like, I was just defending myself. And May is just like, I, I, I mean, forget all this other stuff. How did you break his hand? I mean, that's the thing that they're really freaking out about. They're like, Peter doesn't, he can't break Play-Doh. He's breaking that guy's hand. So Peter slams himself and he's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm so sick of being picked on all the time. For once I defend myself. And what do I get from you? A lecture. So, I mean, they're just trying to be like, Peter, listen, we're, we're just worried about you. And I mean, we didn't teach you to break a kid's hand. So Peter is just like, no, I know what you taught me. You taught me to be a wimpy loser, just like you two. And, growing they, pains. and, and they just look, they just look horrified at him. And I mean, like you said, growing pains, as Ben says, that's all it is. Just don't think about it. Show me that smile, oh, show me that smile. Don't waste another minute on your crying. Great show, Growing Pains. Check it out. I think it's on Hulu. Great 80s sitcom. I, I can't hear that phrase without bursting into song. It's just, it's just how it is for me. 
<laughs> ben and uh, Ben and May are talking, and Ben tells May he's a kid. He's had a traumatic day, and he came home lashing out at us. Let's not think about it. And I mean, you, you see them talk, and they're just talking more about like how are we going to afford it. We we look at different photos of the Parker House, and we see a photo of Ben and Young Peter fishing. Ben and May and Young Peter at Disney World. I mean, this is this is Peter's parents. They might not be his birth parents, but they are really his parents. And we see Peter at the top of the stairway, just slumped over with his arms around his face. It's a dark corner. I mean, Bagley's art is the, like, I I can't do it justice just describing it. Bagley's art tells a story all on its own. And I mean, I I look at this and like, I I had moments like that. I didn't get into too many fights in school, but uh, you know, it's always different when it's like, I just want to stop being treated like shit all the time. And then you end up getting punished for it. And you're, you're just confused. So, I mean, looking at this as somebody that, you know, had a, had a, you know, high school was tough looking at this as an adult. Now I could feel it's like, man, looking at this, I feel bad for Peter. I really do. Yeah. He's had a, a pretty wild couple of weeks here, I'd say. Yeah. And what does he do as any angsty teen? He goes and basically plays out the scene from Footloose, wakes up again at 3 a.m. <laughs> having some type of growth spurt, decides goes to- off to dance. Goes off to dance. He somehow found like black tights and stuff. So he's in the warehouse do, doing the doing the doing the Kevin Bacon, learning all his new powers, lifting up cars. And he's like, ah, I'm Hercules. I freaking love that spider. And, you know, he's he's just he's just trying to figure things out. So, I mean, as, as bad as things are, the powers are pretty freaking exciting. Yeah, he's loving it. He's like, I'm Hercules. He's throwing cars around. He's like, I love that spider. He's just he's having a good time. Yeah. Uh, the next day he's back and, you know, he goes down and he apologizes to Ben and May and they all give each other a hug. And they're like, wait a second, Peter, when did you stop wearing your glasses? And he's like, uh, yeah, you know, I I guess I left them upstairs, basically implying I'm never wearing those glasses again. I can see now. So vision now I'm good. So now we're back to Oscorp Industries. Harry is uh, walking around with Peter and, you know, Peter's just completely geeking out. This is when we get to meet. Doc Ock, as Harry calls him. And this is our first introduction to Otto Octavius, Doc Ock. Uh, He comes over and Peter's just like, Doc Ock. And he's like, yeah, Dr. Octavius. And Harry's like, yeah, he's a big brain around here. You know, scary big brain. And he goes and he's like, hey, you want to learn about some science stuff? So they go off and, you know, Harry's hitting on Doc Ock's blonde secretary. He's like, hey, Darlene, where you been? And she's like, waiting for you to hit puberty, Junior, as, you know, (laughs) Doc Ock and Spider-Man are actually talking about science and stuff. It's a little, it's just a little bit. I mean, he's supposed to be a teenage kid and he's flirting openly with this woman who's flirting right back. You know, it's funny. Like I look at this, this came out in 2000. That's like the same year as uh, uh, Mary Letourneau. Do you remember her? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Let's not get into that. Let's not. Google is not your friend in this case, but if you have to. Uh, anyway, Peter's looking at all these animals that he's experimenting on and Doc is explaining it as Peter's distracted. Ock pulls out a freaking syringe. Peter's senses go off, but he's like, why here? What's going on? Doc freaking injects him with something. And what we see is he's pulling out blood. So Peter's like, uh, what are you doing? What the heck is wrong with you? And Doc's like, just taking a sample. And Harry's like, what happened? And Peter's just like, hey man, like I was ambushed. This is freaking weird. So it seems illegal to me. Yeah. So what does he do? What anyone would do? Peter runs out of there and Harry's chasing after him, but he's, he gets outside. He looks around and Peter's not there. 
So what ends up happening? Uh, he takes the blood back to Norman Osborn, and he's like, "What I am saying, I always imagined him with like you know that classic cartoon Doc Ock voice. What I am saying is that the deterioration effects we witnessed in the first Parker sample have, in layman's terms, reversed themselves. So basically, Peter got sick, his immune system beat it, and now he's stronger. If you don't believe that is science and how immune system works, I don't know what to tell you. Let's not get science. into other things." So now, you know, Doc Ock is like, yeah, his condition's stable and his blood count is normal. So Norman is like, ah, shit, what do I, what do, I do now? Um, at this point, uh, they're just like, you know, we're going to have to we're going to have to follow him. We're going to have to just watch him and make sure that we can examine the fact that now this kid must have powers or something because he's alive. And that is the end of issue two. Yeah, I enjoyed this issue uh, as well. I, I just I, I'm enjoying really seeing the the process of Peter learning his powers, understanding his powers, and ultimately embracing his powers. Because at first he's like, uh, "What the fuck is this? What's happening? Why am I able to climb walls? Why am I able to break hands?" But now he's just he's fully embraced uh, the power of the spider, and he realizes like, "No, this is this is a game changer. I don't need glasses now. I can defend myself against bullies. I can throw cars around. Things are good." Creepy guys are stabbing me with needles. Okay, maybe that part's not so great. The but, usual. Yeah. yeah. Standard yeah. stuff. But yeah, I'm enjoying it. Now we're on issue three. I love Norman. He's so blunt. I would like to recreate the Parker Oz accident. He's talking to a you know, a whole room full of other scientists, and he's like, if the super if the super venom gave Parker enhanced strength of a spider, then treating the Oz with my own DNA and injecting it uh mainline, you know, it'll give me enhanced strength, you know. Make me make me like him. And one of the scientists is just like, what the hell, man? You, sir, you want to inject yourself with the Oz compound? And Norman is like, yep, glad we understand each other. Let's crunch some numbers and, uh, you know, get this next phase rolling along. He's basically saying, like, instead of in getting a f uh, you know, infusing a spider with this stuff and then injecting it into into Peter, like he's going to infuse himself with it and then inject that back into himself is that basically what he's saying because he's saying it's going to give me all the enhanced strengths of me so he's basically instead of using a tiny spider and using that enhanced strength he's going to use his own inert to whatever i don't know what is is extra strong about him but he basically wants to use his own blood and put it back in himself after infusing it with the oz that's what i'm taking from all this yeah, um, that that's basically it. Now we go on the next scene. We see uh, Peter, MJ, Flash, bunch of the students. They must have gone to some like wrestling match going on. And what happens is you've got Crusher Hogan in the ring, and the guy there is like, "Hey, anyone who wants to fight Crusher and stay a few minutes in the ring, you're gonna win a ton of money." So what happens? Kenny Khan comes over and he wants to go ahead and fight him, but he can't because he's under 21 and you know insurance policies and all that stuff. So next thing you know, Flash comes over and pushes Parker, and he's like, "Come on, Parker, go get him." So Peter, being the whole badass he is now, this is what I like about this Peter. He gets confidence and he rolls with it. He's like, "You know what, Flash? How about you hop in the ring, and then when you lose, your fam, you your family can sue his family." So everyone. <laughs> One just looks at him and they're like oh he just went there oh no you didn't yeah but uh peter gets an idea he's like you know what i'm gonna go ahead and get in the ring i'm gonna use that money to pay the medicine bill so that way may and ben don't have to so he's back home and he's making his uh you know his what we'll call his first spidey costume just a sweater and a mask and there he goes he he can do it so it goes back to the rink probably like the next day and he's like hey 
I'm here and I am I'm gonna go ahead and fight you so he basically takes the challenge he's about to fight Crusher Hogan and uh, instead of just lasting in the ring for a couple of minutes what does he do scrawny little random spider guy lifts Crusher Hogan up and freaking like Mark what is that move you know this stuff this, this looks like a body slam this is really just um he it's not even a body slam he's just he's just picking him up and throwing him there's not a name for this <laughs> he's just throwing him he's a body slam is typically a, a front handled scoop uh through the legs and this is uh holding him by his back so uh yeah this is just like a, a press slam if anything but that would normally be uh like holding the guy anyway he slams the guy <laughs> crusher's <laughs> down Crusher's taken. And what does Parker do? He just runs and grabs the cash from the from, from the guy's hand. And he's like, all right, uh, I'm good. So he runs off and it's like there, there, there's a there's a little bit more of that scene. But that's basically it. it's what it's what you see. So Peter's just running off with the cash. And uh, Ben is like, you know, what, 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 what is it? What's going on? He gets a card from uh uh, from the school and it's like so the school faculty is taking up a collection on behalf of peter parker peter is a fantastic student and we felt like the incident with flash thompson was unfair we have decided to remain anonymous due to the school politics and blah 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 <laughs> basically peter just lied about everything and wrote that couldn't be more obvious here what's going on but it wasn't obvious yeah. to ben and may yeah so uh you know we're back at school and peter and mj are talking about geometry class and at this point, Peter's just, you know, his mind is off thinking Peter things. And the coach who was calling him a woman a few issues ago, he's like, hey, Parker, uh, your performance you laid out yesterday on the court. Can you do that again? Or was all that stuff lucky? And basically, Peter's been recruited for the basketball team. Why? Because one of their their captain happened to have his hand crushed. Who was that Flash Thompson? So Peter, puny Parker, no confidence Parker, is now a badass super spider strength guy who's now going to be the starter on the basketball team. Pretty awesome stuff. And Flash is pissed. But uh, Peter in the next panel is actually playing. He has scored 114 points for the team compared to 26. MJ is just looking around like, you know, this is this is pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, at this point, she's like, hey, you know, we had that geometry test we were going to study for. And they, you know, what you basically see is that. Peter's starting to neglect his duties because he's having fun for the first time in his life. And MJ seems to be the only one who one cared about him before and seems to be the one who's still concerned about him. Now she feels like he's kind of ignoring her. So she's just like, you know what? Never mind. I'll, I'll take care of it myself. You go do, you know, crushing hands, fighting people, go play basketball yourself. So it seems like his, the only true person who really cared for him outside of Ben and May, he seems to be kind of, kind of pushing her away. Yeah, it's uh, it's all part of this like this personality change that we're seeing of Peter. There's the good parts where he's he's getting more confident, but uh, he's also getting a little more cocky and and maybe a little too a little too full of himself in this process too. In this in this portion of the evolution of the character, which uh, of course is going to play into the bigger story here. Going back, I'm sorry, going forward. Now we're back to the wrestling rink, and apparently Peter Spider Man has become kind of a thing. So every night he's fighting Crusher and he's putting on this crazy show, and people like seeing this giant guy being taken out by the puny spider kid so you know peter and crusher they they tend to kind of know like yeah you know wrestling is fake and all this other stuff but don't push it um you got a little bit mad when i said wrestling is fake how do you feel about that (laughs) well how long how much time do you have we'll leave that for another day wrestling is not (laughs) fake because 
It's okay. It's wrestling is no more fake than say John Wick. Would you call John Wick fake or would you call it a movie? It's a movie. Yeah. Is it fake? Yeah. All right. Well, then wrestling's fake. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> by, that de- by that definition. But the point being, it's it's entertainment. It's meant to be entertainment, and it's also it's also entertainment. It's also more than John Wick because in John Wick, uh, Keanu Reeves does not do all his own stunts, but in wrestling, they do all their own stunts and they do it live. So I'd actually say it's, it is less fake than John Wick. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> you're not buying that argument. Yeah, that's, nah, okay. nah. that's for another podcast on another day. Uh, long story short, you know, Peter gets into a bit of a you know bit of an argument with the guy who's running the show. Uh, he's kind of skimming Peter because Peter won't actually give him like his identity and number or anything. So he's basically, hey, taking... he's got to give a social security number to pay taxes on this money. Come on. Let's, let's, let's teach kids about the real world here. So okay? Peter doesn't want to pay taxes basically. <laughs> yes. And the guy's basically, why he is my hero, hero. Yeah. Which is basically why he's the guy's like, listen, I'm not going to give you the full amount because uh, you're, you're making this kind of hard for me. Like, you know, we, we've got insurance and liability and stuff and I just don't know who you are. So I'm not going to give you your full money, but I am going to give you this because your your costume here it sucks so while he's taking more of his money he does happen to give peter a better costume and this is basically the spider-man costume but without the spider logo and the webbing so we'll say it's his second phase costume and he puts it on and he's just like yeah you know what i i think i'm gonna put spider here i love this this is awesome so while he's mad about not getting his full pay he's a little bit happy because now he's got a better gig a better better outfit going on yeah, the outfit's definitely improved. We're we're almost at full Spider-Man here. Yeah. At this point, we go to Oscorp, and what we see is Harry walks in, and he's like, hey, Daz, what's going on? We see Norman in a chair. He's about to go ahead and get injected with the Oz formula. So he's like, you know what, son? Get out of here. We see Doc Ock there, a couple scientists. Oh, by the way, we, we see Doc Ock with his octopus tentacles, with the harness. That's oh, freaking awesome. That. Oh, I see. Yeah, they're not infused to him yet, but it just seems like it's just a little... I like, how, I like how they just play it off as normal. I actually yeah. think that's actually pretty pretty cool. Yeah, that's a, yeah. I didn't even notice that that he was using those arms in the, my first go-around. So. Um, anyway, we see him get injected. Everyone's looking around. Next, you know, Norman starts screaming. It's like not an Easter egg. It's like an Easter basket of eggs. It's like, it's like, this is so obvious. It's like, here you go. This is what's happening. In case you didn't know by Doc Ock. Now you're going to see he's the octopus guy. Get ready. It's coming. And with that, that's issue four. <laughs> Norman screams and the whole thing ends. That is it. Yep. Any thoughts on that? I mean, um, I think we kind of covered that. Like this is, this yeah. is why I love this because the things that you expect, they're there. But you're still like looking at this like it's the first time ever. Yeah, it's it's again, I'll say it's it's just seem it feels like a year one because it's it's staying true to the character, true to the story, true to everything. Um, but it's it's just fleshing it out a lot more and helping us understand it a lot more. Uh, it's showing us everything instead of just telling us what happened, as is, as, as is the case with so many of the movies uh, with uh, years of reading the comics. But it's actually fleshing that story out for us. Yeah. Anyway. On to issue four, we basically see that Oscorp industry, something's happened. You know, the whole place is scrapped. People are dead. People are injured. Uh, Norman's secretary is dead. Doc Ock is down. Harry seems to be alive. But the whole place is just, it, it does not look good. Something has seriously happened. Uh, we go a few pages inward. You know, he Peter's in his new Spider-Man costume, still going uh, to, to fight night and everything else. You know, just stealing the show, and this is where he gets his name. He did it again, the Amazing Spider-Man, and you know, it's. I, I look at this, and I kind of like that they 
have done it across a couple of issues because it's starting to make this feel more like it matters than in the original introduction, which is kind of one of those things that happened. So that, that that's my thought on that. Yeah. They're, they're showing it's like, it's like a regular thing. It's a, a regular situation that he has there. It's not just uh, you know, he's not just fighting Macho man one time. Anyway, Peter goes in after the fight to go ahead and collect his, uh, his money and the guy is like hey where's the petty cash and peter's like i give up where's the petty cash and apparently they've been robbed uh, somebody stole all the petty cash from the manager's uh office and at this point all the other wrestlers there they're circling around him and they're like well you know you're the only one in a mask nobody knows who you are i mean come on man you stole it so what ends up happening is they start chasing him uh peter runs out and what we could basically tell is that you know his wrestling career is done. Uh, he, he gets out of costume in, a, in an alleyway. And as he's walking around, he's just he's just like his inner monologue is just basically saying it's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm pissed. But, you know, I'll, I'll get over this like it. It, it was going to happen. He, he's just I'm Spider-Man now. I'm going to be all right. He's trying to rationalize it all. And what he sees walking around a corner. This is actually the scene that inspired a scene that we'll see in a minute in the amazing Spider-Man film, the second on-screen origin telling a Spider-Man. But basically uh, this guy has robbed a deli that corners that Peter is around the corner from. And instead of, you know, stopping him with all his power, the guy stands in front of Peter's Peter's blocking him. He's like, get out of my way. And Peter's like trying to toy around with him. He's like, what shall we dance? So the guy runs off and Peter just kind of lets him there. So, you know, the guy is like, what was that? And Peter's like, what was what? And he's like, why didn't you stop him? All you had to do was trip him, stick your foot out. And he's kissing the pavement. And Peter's just like, whatever. And the guy's like, come on, man. All you had to do. And Peter cuts him off. He's like, yeah, well, I got my own problems, big guy. Peter's just, you know, what, what's what's going on with Peter? Only Peter knows. He's gotten he's gotten too big for his britches. Uh, you know, he's he's got this power and, you know, whatever. He's got this power. He can do whatever he wants. He can play basketball. He can go be a wrestler. Uh, he doesn't need to go chasing after petty burglars. He's got better things going on. Yeah, but you can't have it all, though. Peter gets home and what got home before him His his uh, report card, which I as I think about it, I remember the horror of hoping I get home before my parents see that, uh, you know, they're like, where have you been? And Peter's like practice. And Ben's like, come on, really, what's going on? And, you know, he Peter's like, what with what? And Ben and May, as anyone can tell from their parents, they just give him that death stare. And he's just like, oh, shit, what happened? So he's like, come on, your report card. You got a D in English. How do you go from A's to this? And, you know, they're, they're just worried about him. And Peter's like, come on, I got different priorities. And May jumps in. She's like, different priorities? Your grades were such a point of pride for you, Peter. I don't understand. I mean, you, you know what? Maybe this basketball thing isn't such a good idea. So Peter's like, no, no way. He yells at May and that, that makes Ben go off. And he's like, Peter, it, it's great that you've discovered sports and all, but we have to think something is really wrong with you getting a report like this from school. So... I mean, Peter's just like, you know, I'm, I'm done with this and everything else. And Ben is like, Peter, I think you should apologize to your aunt for your tone. So Peter runs out and he screams, screw this. And Ben and May really know that this is this is not Peter. They've always known. And, and what I love about this is like this is several issues in. This is a relationship that we never actually saw. It was always assumed. And actually getting to see it is what really kind of matters to me. 
it gives everything more impact. We see the full evolution. We see what their relationship is like beforehand. We see what a great father figure Ben is uh, in, in every way, shape, and form. And we also see Peter's evolution kind of outside of himself. You know, as he develops these powers, uh, his attitude changes, and he's the one kind of becoming the asshole prick son here, uh, at least for a moment, you know? Yeah. So um, Peter ends up going to a, to a house party after running into Kenny Kong, who I guess kind of respects him because he's sticking up for himself now. He's even wearing a Spider-Man T-shirt, and he's like, hey, where'd you get that? And he's like, yeah, the arena. Yeah, man, it's all the rage right now. So Peter's like, hey, uh, people freaking like me. They end up going to, uh, you know, after running into each other, uh, they end up going to Flash Thompson's party, and everyone from school is there. And who happens to be, you know, you know, flirting with the new basketball hotshot, Liz Allen. Liz Allen is putting the moves on Peter yes, and everything. And uh, she comes over and she's like, so uh, you and MJ, aren't you guys dating? And Peter's like, no. And then she's like, do you like girls? And Peter's like, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you can never be too sure, Mr. Parker. My mom was dating a gay guy for like a year and never knew it. And Peter's <laughs> just like, well, you know, she must be a fantastic woman. So anyway, she's like, what do you think of me, Peter? And he's like, I think you're a little drunk, Liz. And she's like, a little bit. And she's like, you think you should be drinking? And she's like, a little bit. Who walks in? MJ walks in just as Liz is on top of Peter about to give him a little something, something. And Peter, you know, he, he likes it, but he's, he's pushing her off and she's like, come on, can I help if I think you're just a little cute there, Mr. Parker. And as he's about to push her off, who walks in and sees it, MJ. So Mary Jane sees Liz all over Peter and Peter's like Mary Jane. She runs out and everyone's just like, Oh, you done screwed up. And as he's running out, who does he meet at the door? He meets you Uncle son Ben. Of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he he so did, grabs did Mary him. Jane bring them there. Is that what I'm supposed to think, or was it a coincidence that she just showed up right beforehand? I kind of got the idea. Maybe he brought. I I think she. she I think I think they reached out to her and she brought him there. Yeah, that must be what happened. Makes sense. It's probably his first party ever because he's been such a dork, and now he's he's got to get he's got to get pulled out. Yeah. Probably the first time he ever had a chick like Liz Allen getting on him, or maybe any chick actually getting on him. I think basically anyone. Yeah. Anyway, you know, Ben, like he he's mad at Peter, but he's just like, come on, like what what's going on with you? How can you do this to your Aunt May? I mean, leave and stay out all night. I mean, you're 15 years old. She's worrying about you. And then he's like, what's going on lately? Something is going on, and it isn't you. And Peter's just like. I, I don't know. So, I mean, Ben responds. He's like, oh, Peter, you're, you're such you're such you're really such such a good kid, such a bright kid. I mean, you're, you're as smart as they come. Your, your father had a philosophy that he held to pretty strongly. And it's one that served him very well. He believed that, they, you know, that uh, that if there were things in this world that you had to offer, things that you did well, better than anyone else, things that you could do to help people or made people feel better about themselves. Well, he believed that wasn't just a good idea to do those things. He believed it was your responsibility to do those things. And, and Peter's just quiet. He's looking at Ben. He's like, I, I don't know what to say. So Ben's just like, don't try and be something else. Don't try to be less. Be those great things that are going to happen and just, you know, just accept that great things are going to happen in your life, Peter. Great things. And with all that gr comes great power and great responsibility. Do you understand? And Peter just isn't like he's not responding. So Ben's just like, are you even listening to me? I said great responsibility. And, you know, we think they're going to have a real touching moment. But Peter just looks up and he's like, my father, if he knew so much, where the fuck is he? And he runs off from Ben. 
And Ben just looks at him as he's walking off, as he's running off, and he's like, come on, Peter, snap out of it. You can do it. That is done in a way where it's like they're trying not to make it just seem like they copy and paste it from the comics, but like that's a real conversation that father and son could have. Yeah, and I like that it's not just Ben telling him and giving him his own wisdom. It's it's channeled through Peter's lost father. So I, I think that... In, at the same time, it gives it a little more gravity, you know, because it, it's actually relaying something from Peter's, you know, direct lineage, like from his actual father, which we haven't really touched on too much. We just know that their parent, his parents died. Uh, but that also sort of sets Peter off too, kind of like, well, if my dad knows so much, like, you know, wh- why isn't he here? Well, why did he die? His, his stupid philosophy didn't didn't get him here, didn't get him raising me. And it just it just kind of sets him off and tells him, you know, uh, screw this whole thing. I don't I don't care about this, this whatever, you know, responsibility crap you're telling me because it's he didn't have have his responsibility he didn't keep his responsibility as a dad so whatever philosophy he's going through life with didn't really serve him too well so he kind of just rejects the whole thing yeah the the next panel is it's just like i feel like this is the one time in in, in the issues we've done where i see something where it's like this is just kind of odd we see this giant goblin figure hit hint. we see this giant goblin hulking figure uh going through some trash grabbing what seems to be a uh you know a tarp or something and he you know he covers himself with it during this giant storm we see the twin towers which seeing the twin towers in a in a comic book that was done before 9-11 like it's just one of those moments where it's just like wow that used to just be one of those things that you expected to see and now seeing it, it just seems so alien 20 years later. Just just an observation. Didn't that happen in the first Spider-Man movie, too? Or there was like a trailer for the first Spider-Man movie? It was, in the, the, it was in the trailer and they had to edit it That's out of the was, film. Yeah. Yeah. You could see it online. Like, it's a cool moment. But like that film came out like early 2002. Right, right. Yeah. So they'd already shot all that stuff. Uh, at the time, I think that's uh, one reason just kind of going on a tangent. Like that's one reason why I like Spider-Man feels m- more than just like other heroes, because like as a kid, like I was like in first grade when 9-11 happened, like it was a scary time, like to have Spider-Man come out. And it's like this big underdog story, like to have that come out, like within the same year. I don't know. It felt different. Did this come out right at the same year as the movie? Like this was this supposed to be the basis for the movie, or it's this supposed was, to just be synchronicity th- with it? This came out the same year, and it was done because they knew that people are going to go see the movie, and they're going to want to go see the comic, and they want to they want them to have a, a good jumping on point that isn't intimidating, like you know, Amazing Spider Man issue number four thirty two. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So Peter's on the rooftop and, you know, he's sulking. He's feeling bad about everything. He's like, so stupid. I'm crying like a girl. And, you know, he, he doesn't deserve that. He doesn't know. He doesn't know that ever since this whole Spider-Man thing began, all I could think about is that the one person who would know what to do was my dad. I mean, my, my dad would have known what to make of all this, my power, what they mean. But I'm wrong and I'm sick of being wrong. Uncle Ben and Aunt May are my family. It's time to... You know, it's way past time for me to grow up. It's time I told them what is going on and whatever happens, happens. I mean, if I'm a freak, I'm a freak. And they love me no matter what. So he's going back home to Queens. And as he's walking off, you know, closer, closer to the house, he sees a bunch of cop cars and ambulance. And uh, they're at his house. And he sees, like, you know, crime scene tape across his door. And he's just like, oh, no. So obviously some shit has gone down between when he ran from Ben to when he came back here. And that is the end of issue four. Indeed. Uh, it's, it's interesting because the story is progressing. And again, we know the whole origin. They're not changing the origin story, 
but they're they're giving us a much more fleshed out version. And even though I know what's going to happen, I don't know exactly how it's happening. And the way that they're they're laying it out for me is really letting us understand the characters, the origin, and and give it more gravity than I think it ever really had in the in the comics. And and you know by by actually showing us everything, by showing us the relationship with Ben, by showing us how you know this this philosophical message of great power and great responsibility uh, came through his dad, but the, how Peter actually rejected that at first. And, you know, it, it really just adds more richness and, and depth to the Spider-Man origin. Uh, essentially the same origin we've always known, but the probably the deepest version of it we've ever, we've ever seen. Yeah, it's not just the kid who happens to become Spider-Man. It's the man who Spider-Man is, yeah. who we see developing. Like tagline right there. That's, that's, that's the cold yep. opening right there. Uh, we open issue five and we see uh, Harry Osborne sleeping in his room at the Osborne mansion. And next, thing you know, we hear someone screaming, Harry. And he's like, oh, that's that's mom. Like, what, what's going on? So he runs down the hallway and the whole hallway's on fire. And he's he's freaking out. He's like, mom, mom. And then he walks into the room as he's pushing through the smoke and everything. And uh, his his mother is dead. And he's he's just freaking out. And he looks around. And next, thing you know, he sees that giant goblin creature. His fists are generating fire. So not only is he giant and big, but now he can throw firebombs at people. He throws a firebomb at Harry. He's just lighting the house on fire. And Harry runs outside and he's screaming, help, help, somebody help. As the giant goblin thing jumps off into the distance. So I'm glad that, you know, it took a while for us to see who maybe the first supervillain might be. But if you've been paying a little attention to a little something, something, you can kind of tell that this is Norman Osborn infected with the Oz formula, who's not just the typical Green Goblin, but he's this giant hulking fire throwing goblin thing. Mark, in terms of changes to characters, what they've done to the goblin here, Norman Osborn, is probably the biggest change from canon material from the main Marvel's universe. Definitely, yeah. This is when he is he's more than just a a uh, psychopath uh, corporate evil dude with a suit. He's a psychopath corporate evil dude who is actually transformed into uh, a sort of goblin-esque creature with power. So this is definitely the first part where they're uh, well, they're doing two things here with this story. They're they're linking Spider-Man's origin to Norman Osborn while at the same time really giving us a, a very, very different version of the Green Goblin, uh, at least as a villain, even if maybe Norman Osborn is, is pretty similar to the MCU version. So I like that they tie in the origin to Norman Osborn and then, but they don't make him the big bad right away. They just kind of, they, they plant the seeds. So we're learning, we're, we're learning about Spider-Man. We're learning about his powers. We're seeing how he's developing while sort of in a parallel way, we're also seeing the uh, transformation of Norman Osborn into this green goblin, but they're not making him the, the villain necessarily of, of this tiny arc here. They're kind of just laying the groundwork for the future, which I like. I think fire bombs are cooler than I, pumpkin bombs too. Although I do <laughs> place in my heart for the pumpkin bombs from all. The, yeah, I've always liked yeah, hobgoblin I'm more a than hobgoblin, green goblin. hobgoblin guy myself. Yeah, same. Anyway, we're, we're back at the Parker home and Aunt May is basically telling the cops what happened. Uh, they were they were playing cards in the living room waiting for Peter to come back. That's when somebody standing at the doorway was there and he had a gun and he kept asking about our money. So that's when Ben tried to go ahead and calm the situation down. He was just like, you know, hey, man. Like, you probably have more money than we do. Trying to calm him down so that way no one would get shot. And that's when it happened. Uh, the burglar just went ahead and shot Uncle Ben. So then we go to a full 
uh, a full page spread of the cops. You see the chalk outline of Ben's body with a giant puddle of blood there. You see him in a body bag on a gurney being wheeled out and you see uh, Mary Jane's aunt who she's living with, you know, consoling aunt May and, you know, Peter's holding May's hand, but he's looking down. You don't even see his face. That scene means more than any other retelling of the Spider-Man story, because we always like we might see Uncle Ben get shot. But like this scene, the aftermath, the aftermath, because they don't actually show the gunshot. The aftermath almost shows you more. It makes you feel more than just seeing Ben get shot. Yeah, I don't think we needed to see him actually get shot. In fact, it's better that we don't because it's better that we don't actually see who it is until later, even though, you know, Spider-Man fans of old will probably be able to figure it out. Uh, but yeah, the like you said, the aftermath and seeing Peter's reaction here, especially when his last interaction with Ben was basically telling him to fuck off. <laughs> so basically, Peter hears the police scanners that they think they found the burglar. He's in the warehouse district. Peter runs out, grabs his costume, and now he's he's running off to go enact justice. And just like this, they uh, they think that they, they know where he is, so they're starting to surround this old abandoned uh, warehouse building and the burglar is there that's when spider-man jumps in and he's like murderer so the guy starts shooting at him uh you know he trips uh his gun goes flying at this point he's running around he's freaking out he's like i must be seeing things that's when peter grabs uh, a tire and flings it at him you know uh, hitting him, making him fall down again, and the and the guy's like, "What? What's going on? I I gotta hide! I gotta hide!" And that's when Spider Man jumps out in front of him, and he's like, "Mister, there is nowhere on earth you will be able to hide from me." So the guy's just like, "Okay, I'm gonna fight you." So he lunges at Peter. Peter just decks him, and as he stands over him, this is where you know you could change things for the the current present time, but also pay complete respect to the source material that has inspired this. It's almost panel for panel, like amazing fantasy 15. You see Peter standing over him and he's like, ah, well, you know, you should have thought of that before you. And as he pulls him up and sees his face in light for the first time, he's like that face it's, Oh no, it can't be. It's the burglar who he let go after he robbed the deli of the day prior. And he remembers everything that happened. But what he really remembers is the guy like, hey, why didn't you stop him? And he's like, that's not your job. That's not my job. And the guy's like, not your job. All you had to do was trip him. And he's just running through this in his head. And what he realizes that if he had just stopped that guy then and there when he had the chance, Ben would still be alive. And this is when, you know, now Peter is visualizing this. He's visualizing Ben and May horrified at home and the gunman shooting Ben. And at this point, you know, uh, the cops are outside. Peter is. I, I love I love too. like it tells you so much about Ben, how, you know, the thing he says before he gets shot by the burglar, he kind of tries to joke with him. He's like, hey, man, you probably have more money than we do. Like, you know, we're we're not in great financial shape here, too. I know we have this house here, but we're going to have the huge mortgage. And and he just gets shot because that, that pissed off the burglar. But it, Ben died being Ben. Ben died being this positive, uh, jokey, like always trying to find, uh, you know, try, trying to add levity to a situation. And I mean, he was in his own way trying to sort of relate to this burglar here too. Like, look, we've got a tough too, but you know, he wasn't able to get that far because this burglar guy's having none of it, but I, I just, it, yeah. his last moment. Is, I get is choked up. This is, oh man, I, I get choked up seeing this. Um, so anyway, uh, Captain George Stacy of the NYPD, they're about to go ahead and storm the place. But that's when George Stacy, father of when who we will see in the series a few Spider-Man's issues, Spider-Man's original girlfriend, the, the OG. 
Um, anyway, uh, Spider-Man throws the, the murderer out the window, but he tied him to a rope. So he just kind of flings out at one point. And, uh, you know, he's there just for the cops. So he didn't kill him. He he left him there to, to be arrested. And at this point, uh, George Stacy looks around and he sees the silhouette Spider-Man on the side of the corner watching the cops and he just lets them go. So at this point uh, they go over, they see the guys alive and uh, you know, that's the last we're going to see of him. But Spider-Man jumps to another roof and he's sulking and he's like, you told me, you told me. And he's just thinking of all the scenes that have happened the last couple of days and how he's basically responsible for, for Ben's death. And uh, you know, he looks at his mask and he's like, I, I didn't know what to do, but I do know now. So he spends the rest of the night going around the city and saving people from house fires and muggings and stuff like that, just to kind of get out that excess energy. And then, you know, he goes home, he's out of the costume. And as he's walking up to his doorstep, he sees Mary Jane there and it's late. And she just looks at him. She's like, so how are you doing? And he's like, I, I don't know. And she's like, well, your, your aunt is staying with us. And he's like, well, that's good. And She's like, well, they, they asked me to wait here for you, you know, bring you back to the to our place if, you know, you, you want to. And I was worried about you. And I mean, at this point, Peter's just breaking down. He's he's crying and he, he you know, he gets down to his knees and MJ gets down with him and she's just, you know, she's holding him. And it's it's this beautiful scene. I mean, she could be mad at him like she probably has the right to, but with everything going on, she's, she's the best friend he's, he has really in this world, especially with Ben being gone. And that is the end of issue five, which brings us to the end of our story today. It does. So, uh, instead of commenting on the issue specifically, why don't we just dive into our, our overalls here? Mark, this was your first time, uh, going through this. I know that I, I, I opined a bit more than I usually would, but I mean, I, I love this story. I love this character, but this specific version of everybody, not only was it just my first introduction really towards this amazing lore, but this is, this is the stuff I grew up on to its, to its core. And I love it. And going back and looking at this, I was like, am I going to like it less? Kind of like I did with ultimate X-Men. If anything, I love it more, but I'll hear your score first and your thoughts. All right. Well, I, I will say I definitely like this a lot more than Ultimate X-Men. Uh, Ultimate X-Men, I kind of find myself found myself asking, like, what's the point of this? Like, why do I need this? Like, it's kind of different, but not different enough. And it's kind of the same. But if it's the, to the extent that it's the same, it's not even enough the same. So it's I just don't know. It just it just seemed like a slightly weirder. Un, less interesting, less important version of the X-Men, whereas this really feels like Spider-Man. This feels like what Spider-Man should be, unlike X-Men, which had, a, I think, had a terrible pacing problem, especially with the Wolverine character arc. Uh, things just, they seem to be hopping from event to event to event, whereas this plays out much more naturally. They really spend, they spend five issues fleshing out Peter's origin, which is just like, you know, it's it's a, a few pages in Amazing Fantasy 15. Uh, so I, I really found this to be a really great origin story for Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Um, now, the, 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 on the flip side of that, I don't know, the whole Ultimate Universe thing it just kind of... I don't know. It feels so weird to me. It's, it, it feels strange. Like, why did I need this stuff in another universe? Because to me, this isn't really a criticism of the writing itself, but more maybe the overall idea. Because I get it from the business aspect, because it brought new fans in. It brought people like you in. It provided a new jumping on point. I guess I just prefer 
Like, I feel like I could have had a very similar story and you didn't need to launch a whole universe to do it. I feel like you could have just, except for the, the weirdness with Norman Osborn being like a weird goblin creature. I feel like you pretty much could have done this similar, a similar job to this by making more of like a Spider-Man year one story. And I think they could have done that for a lot of these characters, given us sort of year one type stuff and not having to reset the whole universe uh, or create a whole new side universe that just ultimately ended up ends up confusing people because at some point you have this Spider-Man and Miles Morales and then Spider-Man in the other universe. And I think once you get years into this ultimate universe, and this is more a, a commentary on the whole concept of the ultimate universe more than it is this book itself. But I just, I don't love the idea that this all takes place in another universe because to me that's just a new universe to follow. But I get it. I get why they wanted a fresh start, a clean slate for to bring in new fans that were being exposed to it through the movie to bring in fans like yourself who might have been intimidated by Amazing Spider-Man number 493, but not so much by Ultimate Spider-Man number one. And they did do a really good job with the origin story itself. So um, and then as far as the, the art goes, so I, let's see, I will say this. Uh, I'll do art first. Mark Bagley is just awesome. He's a great Amazing. artist. This, this is not my favorite of his work. I actually think I like his his 90s Spider-Man better. And maybe that's just because I grew up with that 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 work. And it, it does feel very different uh, in many ways. Same quality, but just feels different than his 90s Spider-Man work. And maybe that's because he was making the effort to draw less muscly, bulky figures and more portray Peter Parker more, uh, you know, more like just a teenager who happens to have powers. Uh, so I won't call it bad, but um, at all. I mean, it, it's great artwork. I'm going to give the artwork a four. It's, it's very good. I like it. It's not my favorite Mark Bagley work, and it's not my favorite art of all time. Yeah. But it's very good. I think four is a good score there. And um, as far as the story, too, um, like, I like it. I It's good. Um, I don't know. I, I There's just part of me that doesn't feel it to be completely necessary, but if they were going to do it, and they're and they're gonna have it, it was done about as well as you can possibly do it. Um, so, I, I'm gonna give the writing a three and a half. I like it. I like it more than I liked uh, Ultimate X-Men. Um... It's not going to rank as one of my, you know, all-time classic stories, probably. Um, maybe there's just the nostalgia factor in there for you that's going to have this always as a classic story for you because it is really your first exposure to this character. Um, but overall, I'm giving it a 7.5. It's a very good score. It's just below the, the the uh, what I would call always call my eight and aboves would be like, you must read this. So I'm going to put it right below of where I would rank something that you have to read, but recommend it nonetheless. I think it is a good read. It's an it's an excellent excellent rendition of Peter Parker's uh, Spider-Man origin story itself. Yeah. I, I my score is not too far off from yours. I'm gonna, I'm going to change the the order a little bit. I'm going to start with the art first. Usually I do art last. Uh, I agree with you on Bagley's art. And what's ironic is that like he he would do a 100 a hundred issue run with Brian Michael Bendis, and then he would switch out, and there would be three other artists to do like another twenty issues of the series. And then towards the last couple issues of the Ultimate Spider-Man run of Peter Parker, um, he would come back for that. So I will say that this is not his best. I'm going to give it a four because it's still really good. And he he you know he he brings up what what you mentioned. Like this is not big, you know, big muscly Superman, like Spider-Man. This is a teenager with superpowers. So I'm going to give it a four. Um, I think, you know, and my grading system is usually, is this great for people that are just coming in? Is this great for people that have known him forever? Uh, actually, you know, I am going to be a little bit different from you. I give it A's on both. I'm actually going to give the story a five out of five. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah, because I mean, I think it, it hits both, but it's like there, there have been actually multiple retellings from multiple like universes. Like they had Marvel Age which was for like younger readers. And then there have been all the different TV shows and the movies and everything. And Tom Holland is just Iron Boy Jr. There is no Uncle Ben. He's heartless, <laughs> soulless. There is no responsibility, just great power. But that's another tangent for another day. Um, I mean, really, if you're going to like everyone knows Spider-Man's origin, but this makes you genuinely care. And that's the thing about a lot of superheroes. Like there was sideways. He was a DC character. It came out a couple of years ago. He was basically going to be DC Spider-Man. And he, he was terrible because it was just, it was heartless. There's so much heart in this story and they really flesh out why you should care about Peter and why you should care about May and Ben and all these other characters that are usually just there to support him. It's like, they're really part of the story. It's not, you know, Peter Parker's world and everyone is around in it. It's everybody in the situation together in a situation where the the person they never imagined would have these amazing abilities happens so when they be Spider-Man. And uh, I I love it. I genuinely do. So I'm giving it a nine out of ten. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, I I can't say it's bad. It's just it just doesn't quite break that barrier for great for me. So I, I'm just going to leave it at my seven and a half at very good. Not great, but very, very good. And this is uh, so this would be a 16.5 out of 20. Yeah, nah, not too. That's not a shabby score at all for SBC. So it's it's definitely a read. I would say. I would say it even even for our overall score would may even quite qualify for a must read. It's above the average. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Average is an eight point two five, so that's that's over an eight. So, check it out. Good stuff. Well, especially if you have the Marvel Unlimited app, uh, it is really the greatest value in comics, in anything, in entertainment out there, and it lets you follow along if you're a patron of the show with my series, the Random Marvel Comics Podcast, where once in whenever it's random, just like the name of the t- show is, I press the button on the Marvel Unlimited app. This is an amazing concept. They have a little button in the corner with you'll see it there. It's like a couple little looks like a little two cards and two question marks. You press that button and you get a random Marvel comic. So uh, so far I've read Giant Size uh, Master of Kung Fu number three that from was a 1976. Fun episode. That was really fun, and I just read Secret Wars number one. Couldn't be two different, two different, two more different books uh, for the first two of those. But Truly that's, random. Completely random. <laughs> Truly random. Whatever it is, doesn't matter if it's something I've read before, read recently, have never read. It doesn't matter. Whatever comes up, that's what I'm reading. That's what I'm talking about. So just, um, just another piece of bonus content for our patrons out there. Absolutely, folks. We love you. Please, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to us. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts lets people know what you love about the show, lets others know that this is something they should probably get into, and helps us expand the SPC mission of trying to get America to read again, because our literacy rates are terrible. But other than that, <laughs> I'm Remsa W. Martinez. And I'm the marvelous Mark Clare. Read comics. Change the world. Change the world. Good night, America. Adios. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.